You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to buckle up for a blockbuster broadcast when Mark Weber, the director of the Institute for Historical Review, our good friend, kicks things off this evening uh, as he provides expert opinion on the Israel-Palestine conflict. As you know, from his uh, regular appearances on this program, Mark is an accomplished historian, lecturer, current affairs analyst, and author. He was educated in the United States and Europe and holds a master's degree in modern European history. Uh, My friend, you have your work cut out for you tonight. How are you? (laughs) I'm fine, yes. This has been a, a topic that's gotten the world's attention in the last few weeks, that's for sure. Well, as I've said before, uh, not only could we not find uh, someone better suited to uh, have on the program tonight to break it down, I don't think anyone could. As I've said before, and I'm happy to say it again, if we lived in a country with a serious media, you'd be anchoring your own Sunday morning current affairs program. But you are particularly well prepared to uh, provide reason perspective, given your keen decades-long interest on this uh, intractable conflict, and more importantly, the development and character of the U.S.-Israel uh, special relationship, quote unquote. So again, so many facets, so much history behind this thing. This isn't something that just kicked off this week. Uh, I hardly know where to begin. So Mark, you sent me an outline. Let's start there. <laughs> well, uh, gosh, uh, where to start? Um, uh, uh, maybe we can start with Joe Biden's talk the other night. Two nights ago, he gave that a radio was, address, yeah. a television address to the country. And in this talk, he gave the justifications for the continuing U.S. Uh, support for Israel, standing with Israel. It's, I, as I listened to the talk, I was reminded about who this guy is who's doing the talking. Uh, how anybody can believe he's any person to follow with regard to the Middle East or anything is an astonishing thing. This is a person <laughs> who supported the Iraq War which now, of course, everybody's embarrassed by. He was wrong about that, as he supported the uh, calamitous Afghanistan war and claimed, oh, we've got to keep going there because if we don't defeat Taliban in Afghanistan, it's a vital interest of the United States that we keep that, too. Well, of course, it isn't a vital interest, and he got out. Most people are happy we got out after 20 years, but he's been so wrong about so many issues in the past It's no surprise that he has very little credibility in this case, but he gave the usual reasons for the United States uh, supporting Israel at a time when Israel's policies are under tremendous and increasing uh, criticism from around the world and increasingly even here in the United States. you know, he talked about supporting Israel as a vital interest. It's not a vital interest of the United States. Israel didn't even exist until 1948. The United States somehow cranked along pretty well up until 1948 without Israel. Um, and and, and to, to put it in those terms is completely wrong. The essential problem is that the U.S. 
strong support for Israel, in fact, stronger than that of any other country. Uh, I mean, both on the side of the United States for Israel. Uh, and uh, th this, this is not motivated by any clear-eyed, uh, reasonable assessment of what's good for America or the world. It's based on the tremendous power that the organized Jewish community has in the United States. And that's why when Benjamin Netanyahu comes to the United States and speaks to the Congress, he gets more rapturous applause than the American president of either party ever gets. He gets more applause from the American politicians than he does from his own parliament in Israel. And that's a reflection of this, this grip that we've had on the American uh, foreign policy, but particularly in the Middle East for many, many years. I was reminded, uh, I was looking this just up. In 1957, uh, Secretary of State John Foster Dulles commented privately. He said, um, I am aware how almost impossible it is in this country to carry out a foreign policy in the Middle East not approved by the Jews. He said, he talked of, and I'm quoting, the terrific control the Jews have over the news media and the barrage with the Jews, which the Jews have built up on congressmen. I am very much concerned over the fact that the Jewish influence here is completely dominating the scene and making it almost impossible to get Congress to do anything they don't approve of. The Israeli embassy is practically dictating to the Congress through influential Jewish people in the country. And that was the Secretary of State of the United States in 1948, in 1957. Ah. Already in 1948, the Secretary of State, John uh, George Marshall, who had been the Chief of Staff of the U.S. military in World War II, he warned that even recognizing Israel was putting uh, partisan uh, political interests ahead of the interests of America and ahead of the interests of the world. That was already in 1948. The situation has continued since then. Now, there is a change because uh, the credibility of the United States leaders of both parties has fallen tremendously since 1948 and 1957. And there's a lot more pushback and a lot more uh, skepticism of these kind of claims by Biden that he made the other day than there, than there would have been by an American president 10 or 20 years ago. Anyway, the big thing really is this is, again, uh, the typical kind of way that uh, Joe Biden presents things, and you're supposed to forget what the calamitous results of his policies have been in the past. It's incredible that an American president like Biden talks about how, I'm quoting, he said, American leadership is what holds the world together. Well, that's just crazy. Um, some people would argue his kind of leadership isn't even holding America together, much less the world. <laughs> China and India and Russia, they're going to continue on and go their way, regardless of what the United States does or doesn't do. And Joe Biden is trying to hold on to a position of the United States in the world that's no longer feasible. It was workable during the 1950s or 60s or 70s when American power was much, much greater in the world relative to the rest of the world than it is today. The United States doesn't have that ability. In the last 30, 40 years, uh, America's efforts to uphold what they call democracy or whatever around the world have been failures. I, I, there's many, much more to be said about this, but the important point is that not only is it unrealistic for the United States to take this position, it's against American interests, and it's less and less even tenable in the world. And that's a, 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 a main thing to keep in mind about what Biden and the U.S. Congress are doing when they justify a policy that's not based on any clear 
right idea of what's good for America or the world, but rather who pays the bills, who, who funds re-election campaigns and so forth. How about that for an opening salvo, gang? Mark Weber, IHR.org, just to recap, and uh, I'm reading from Mark's notes here about this segment that he just delivered to you. This, uh, he's talking about this special ironclad, so-called ironclad U.S.-Israel relationship not being based on a clear-eyed assessment of what's good for America or the U.S. national interest or even what's good for the world, but rather uh, an expression of the enormous power and influence of this country's organized Jewish community. And then, yes, of course, Mark, I saw this thing, and I saw where Biden was giving this primetime address in the Oval Office, which is, of course, rarely done. And when it is done, you know, something exceptionally unique is happening. And uh, I, I, I just could have surmised that it was going to be about what's going on there. Uh, but with interest in funding the war in Ukraine failing, he goes on television and asks for, a, what, $100 billion for Ukraine and Israel. We'll pick up right there when we right. come back with Mark Weber. Stay tuned. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. In Message 1, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him the beast his power. Revelation 13.2 The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present-day, end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. Right, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Weber, our guest, uh, IHR.org, Institute for Historical Review, uh, offering opinion and analysis as only he can uh, to the latest manifestation of uh, the seemingly never-ending conflict between Israel and Palestine, uh, what's happening over there in Gaza, uh, taking some broad strokes there in the first segment. But yes, Mark, uh, where we ran into the break, we were talking about Biden going on this national television address to the whole country. Uh, 
couple of days ago asking for another $100 billion that's going to be split somehow between Ukraine and Israel. And you, you touched on this, uh, but uh, I, I found a recent poll that you and I were looking at uh, via our email exchange. And what do you think that this portends, uh, that uh, this was a CNN poll, finds that 81% of Americans aged 64 years and older stand with Israel, whatever that means, 27% of those aged 18 to 34 do. So I think if you look at that, your quick takeaways would be that this uh, Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson style uh, Christian Zionism and Israel first dispensationalism is sort of dying away with that generation. And the people who would be uh, enlisted to fight in a war against Iran don't seem to be up for it. 27% aged 18 to 34 seem to feel as though Israel is our greatest ally and we must stand with them um, no matter what. Uh, what. What does that mean going forward? That's a very important poll. I'm glad you brought it up, James, because it, it the reason that there's such a drastic uh, fall in support for Israel over the generational groups is twofold. First of all, it's changing because younger people are far more skeptical, far more cynical, far more distrusting of official pronouncements of any kind. They've grown up uh, in their lifetimes seeing American uh, foreign policy uh, one uh, calamity, one calamity after another. Older Americans remember a time when America was still sort of on top of things. Uh, we were, our, America was much more powerful. Uh, older Americans remember the Reagan years when America was still seemingly on top and the Berlin Wall fell down and so forth. Younger people, they see American politicians of both parties so untrustworthy, and this is borne out all, by any number of polls, they don't trust uh, these big pronouncements about uh, we've got to continue this policy or that policy or whatever. They don't, they're, they're far more skeptical. The second reason is demographic. As the population becomes more and more third worldish, more Hispanic and so forth, these people cannot be uh, influenced in the same way that white Americans can about guilt, about uh, we should uh, 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 remember the Holocaust or World War II. Uh, People uh, of Asian background, people of Mexican background, those uh, issues, those kinds of slogans, those kinds of appeals don't resonate with them in the way they do with white Americans. The, the third, I mean, in addition to that, uh, older Americans were subjected to almost nonstop, relentless pro-Zionist propaganda, disinformation uh, during the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and that's less so, less true than it used to be. There's more, albeit it's still very, very pro-Israeli, very, very pro-Zionist, and so forth in the United States. Um, nevertheless, it's less uh, solid than it was during the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and I remember that. I, I mean, it's, I can't, uh, it's hard to convey to younger people just how enormously one-sided the American media was pro-Israel. And now there's at least some effort to say, well, why is there this problem? What, who are these Palestinians? Why are, they, why are they angry? What's going on? But anyway, so those are, I think, the reasons why uh, not only is support for Israel falling the younger people are, but it will uh, play out in political terms in the years ahead. That is, inevitably, American support for Israel is going to decrease. And uh, we're going to uh, see that not only in the United States, but even in those countries that are still more or less supportive of Israel in Europe and so forth, that will decrease as well. And then, of course, I guess uh, also playing into it as we enter into 
a more post-Christian America, some of these these older demographics who still uh, cling to the faith are, again, it's uh, the greatest generation, the so-called greatest and silent generations are, are, are gone. And with it, it goes uh, a lot of that mindset that the younger uh, generations just don't have. So, uh, no, all James, right. James, I want to disagree a little bit with that. All right. This, this idea of uh, Christians have to support Israel is a uniquely American idea. It's not a universally Christian view. Sure. Uh, it's not the view of Christians in, uh, in, 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 in Orthodox countries. It's not the same view that Europeans have. Uh, they, they have a very different one. This uh, expression, so-called Christian expression for, of support for Israel in the United States is a uniquely American version of Christianity. That's right. Yep. It's, not, it's, not the one, it's not the same, it's not Christianity certainly as Christians practiced it for centuries in Europe and, uh, and other countries. It's, it's a uniquely American thing and it translates into a kind of civic nationalism. America is a special country, we're a Christian country, what we do is good and so whatever our policy is, it's more or less a good one because we're good people. It's a good country. That's not the view that Christians uh, around the world necessarily have, and it's uh, and that's decreasing for, for that well, reason because the civic nationalism is also decreasing. No, Mark, I think I think uh, there's no disagreement at all. I agree with everything you just said. I think we're just talking about you know Americans and the older Americans, and I think those would be the ones that might have this mindset, which, as you say, is is uniquely American, even amongst. Christians, and of course, it's relatively new because Israel it, itself as a nation didn't even exist until 1948. So this is all right, uh, sort of right. a novel thing. And, but nevertheless, and, and, let, let's let, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that it's it's an odd thing that American Christians support Israel even in when they're oppressing fellow Christians. Remember, uh, a, a, a minority <laughs> of, the, of the Palestinian po population is Christians. Israel doesn't make a distinction between Muslim Palestinians and Christian Palestinians. For them, they're always they're non-Jews, uh, and it's a, it's a kind of shameful thing I think that American uh, Christian leaders seem more concerned. When uh, Jews die in Israel or any other country, than they do when fellow Christians are killed uh, around the world. Uh, I would uh, the, the credibility of the Christian uh, Zionists would be a lot greater if they showed the same concern for fellow Christians that they show for Israelis and Jews. Well, as you as you said and as you wrote, most Americans, especially older Americans, support this again quote-unquote special relationship due to the decades of pervasive pro-Zionist disinformation, propaganda, and, and messaging in our mass media television and from Hollywood. And, of course, they got the seminaries just like they got the media and, and um, all of the other institutions of, of power. But I would like to ask you, I, we have another more uh, larger point of discussion that we don't have time to get into at this segment, but you, we just mentioned the word propaganda. I mean, I said this last week when Kevin McDonald was on and we were talking about this issue. There's no propaganda like wartime propaganda, but I don't know if I've ever seen propaganda <laughs> that reaches the levels that we're seeing here. And maybe it's just because in previous wars, not everybody had a cell phone that was connected to global media and social media. But I think if you just had to look at one thing with regards to the propaganda war that we're seeing, it's the, the situation involving the hospital. Uh, our, our friend, uh, we have a listener in uh, Arkansas who sent in a message. Uh, Israel did a media presentation showing how the hospital was hit by a Hamas missile and not by the IDF. Uh, Al Jazeera, uh, J um, Jazeera then did their own broadcast showing that it was not a Hamas missile. Uh, how do you know? I mean, I guess this is a question for all time, but how do you see this thing clearly? How do you know what's real? 
Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Israel has a long record of lying and deceiving to the American public and uh, to American officials. Uh, that's one of the reasons why in much of the world they just don't aren't going to believe what Israel says. It may have been a missile that uh, failed. We don't know. However, it should be kept in mind that Israel does have a record of attacking hospitals in the past indisputably. There's no dispute about this. The very hospital that had this particularly terrible thing, I think it was on the 13th of, uh, of October, it had been attacked earlier by Israel, and Israel has done this in the past. By far, the, num the greater number of Palestinians who are being killed over the last several, excuse me, uh, yeah, Palestinians who have been killed over the last several weeks have been women and children. Israel has openly proclaimed they're going to impose on uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, but in general, but especially in Gaza, what they call a second Nakba. That is a second catastrophe. That's the Arab word for catastrophe. And as they did in 1948. And what the what Palestinians know, and certainly what Hamas has uh, made a point of, is the only time American public and much of the European public pays attention to the Israel-Palestine issue is when Jews die. Palestinians have been attacked and killed and mistreated, oppressed for, for decades. But the United States more or less position is we're not going to really get very excited about it or say anything about it until Jews die. Then it's a big media thing. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the big point uh, in all of this in recent weeks has been this uh, uh, continually talking about terrorism. Terrorism's bad. Well, of course, terrorism's bad. Nobody likes terrorism. But the United States has a very two-faced uh, record on this issue of terrorism. I remind people that Nelson Mandela, who's now considered practically a saint, was a terrorist. He was on the U.S. terrorism <laughs> watch list. And he was in prison in South Africa, not because he opposed apartheid, but because he had carried out and supported terrorist actions. Hold on civilians. right there. We'll be right back with the one and only Mark Weber, IHR.org. We're halfway through, another half to go. Feels like we're just getting started. Don't go anywhere. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Skip Kelly. The U.S. is advocating for the release of all hostages currently held captive by Hamas. This plea follows the recent release of two American hostages to Israeli authorities on Friday. Uh, over the coming hours, they'll receive any uh, support and assistance they need. And, of course, we're very anxious to be able to reunite them with their loved ones. We welcome their release. We share in the relief that their families, friends, and loved ones are feeling. Secretary of State Antony Blinken stated that there are 10 additional unaccounted-for Americans in the conflict, and it's suspected that some of them may be among the roughly 200 hostages held by the Palestinian militant group in Gaza. More than 100 people were arrested Friday night in midtown Manhattan during a demonstration calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. They also demanded more aid for Palestinians and Congress to stop military aid to Israel. Participants told ABC7 their reasons were clear. We have to do what we have to do for justice and for peace. We're out here. It's pouring rain. We're wet. But they have blood on their hands. Those arrested were put on buses after blocking traffic outside Senator Kirsten Gillibrand's office. Disruptions on Spirit Airlines are expected to last for several days after the airline pulled some planes out of service for inspection, leading to the cancellation of about 100 flights on Friday and more than 80 on Saturday. The FAA says the inspections involved looking for signs of cracks in brackets on the plane's airframes, which could lead to reduced structural integrity and possible rapid decrease.
decompression of the airplane if undetected. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan has withdrawn his candidacy for Speaker of the House. This decision comes after a confidential GOP ballot yesterday. But I thought it was important that we all know get an answer to the question if they wanted me to continue in that in that role. And so we put the question to them. They made a different decision. With Jordan's withdrawal, the Republican conference is currently without a nominee over two weeks after Kevin McCarthy's historic removal. Lawmakers are set to reconvene on Capitol Hill on Monday in an effort to determine a new nominee for the leadership position. This is USA News. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer, and again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-5141. 800-215-5141. That's 800-215-5141. Mark, you were talking about what is terrorism uh, and who's who's a, when is a terrorist a terrorist and when is he something else? You were using Nelson Mandela as a right, right. I, I'm making a point because uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, finish that thought. I've got something here that you've got to hear, but I want you to continue to develop that. Okay, thread. the point is that denouncing a group because it's a terrorist group is 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 meaningless, really, because the United States. And all countries support "quote unquote" terrorism when it's the when it's the side that we wanted. Uh, when uh, the when Afghanistan was go. controlled, taken over by the Soviet Union, uh, the United States supported the uh, 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 Afghan resistance, which carried out terrorism. A hundred years ago, when Ireland there was a struggle by the Irish for independence from uh, England, from Britain. Uh, they were terrorists, and they were considered terrorists. They were they were they they blew up uh, people, they killed people, and so forth, and they were called terrorists. But they won, and uh, the, later the one of the so-called terrorist leaders, Eamon de Valera, became prime minister and president of Ireland. The uh, when the uh, Zionists were trying to get the British out of Palestine in the 1940s. Uh, their leaders were so-called terrorists. Two of them, Menachem Begin and Yitzhak Shamir, later became prime ministers of, of Israel. But during the British period, they were terrorists. They carried out bombings of civilians. They had, were on wanted posters. And again, in South Africa, uh, everybody applauds now uh, South Africa's overthrow of the apartheid regime. Nelson Mandela was hailed by uh, left and right Republicans and Democrats in the United States. But for years, he was on the U.S. watch list as a terrorist. He wasn't imprisoned by the South African 
uh, white government because he was against apartheid. He was imprisoned because of his role in terrorism, and the South African government said they would release him if he just made a public statement that he no longer supported terrorism. Terrorism is used by people who don't have power because they don't have armies. They don't have airplanes. They don't have submarines. They don't have the equipment of fighting a major war. So that's what they do. So all of it, and, and again, Biden made this reference to we have to, can't, can't allow terrorism. Well, terrorism, uh, the people, the Taliban, the United States said they were terrorists in Afghanistan. They were in power. The, I remember as a young man, uh, the uh, uh, Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, the communists were called terrorists. Well, they were. And now the United States has an alliance, has a, a very good close relationship with the government of the people that we used to denounce as terrorists. Anyway, the point isn't that the United States should support or not support terrorism. We should evaluate U.S. foreign policy in terms of what's good for America, what's good for the world, in that order. That should be our foreign policy. And that was the foreign policy of the founders of America. It was the way um, Americans looked at the world for a long time. Now America plays the role of a world policeman. And we're going all over the world fighting bad guys, I guess, or supposedly, until, and, and that's a recipe for endless war because there's always going to be governments that we don't like. But at the same time, the very people who say that think it's all right to have alliances with countries that are, well, Certainly not like the United States, such as Saudi Arabia. It was it was Joe Biden that claimed that oh, because Saudi Arabia killed this journalist and cut him up and killed him, oh, they're going to pay a price. Well, that was all forgotten. And again, foreign policy of of the United States and of any sane country should be based on a realistic evaluation of its real interests. What's good for their country? What's good for the world? That's not the U.S. relationship with Israel. It's a ironclad. In fact, the American president, uh, Biden now, and the secretary of state claim America will always support Israel. Really? No matter what they do? I mean, I guess that's the implication. But it's crazy Mark, to even put things in those terms. No, it is. It is an unconditional blank check. Well, let me ask you this. A, a simple yes or no will do, or, or maybe a 30-second, because I, I want to read something that I think uh, is relative to our discussion on terrorism that I read in the Wall Street Journal, and it almost made me choke on my food a couple of days ago. But uh, we're seeing Biden again go on, ask for another $100 billion to fund not just Ukraine, but to give more aid to Israel now. Do you think that there is a perception in parts of the world that America is simply Israel's golem? Yes, of course. I mean, America simultaneously claims that we're going to try to be a fair arbitrator, a referee, a uh, umpire in the struggle between Israel and Palestine. But the United States isn't that kind of country. It's already completely committed to supporting uh, one side in the conflict. And so its ability to be any kind of peacemaker is, is just about zero because it already says to Israel and has for years, we're with you basically no matter what. The United States, Biden appealed to the Israeli leaders, please don't c commit war crimes, don't, c don't break international law. Well, Israel knows that they can do and have done that and there'll be no consequences. In 1969, when Henry Kissinger was the national security advisor to Nixon, he wrote a memo, which we put on our website. It's now, it was later redacted and made public, in which he said, Israel has been lying to the United States. They're deceiving us. They're acting contrary to our interests. They said that the nuclear program of Israel is not only dangerous, it's especially dangerous because Israel 
Kissinger wrote to Nixon, is the one country most likely to use nuclear weapons. But he warned that if we press Israel on this, we will pay a very high price politically. That is Nixon and the Republican Party. And so we, we, we try to get some private, that's what he said, try to get some private assurances from Israel. But basically our hands are tied because, again, as Dulles would say, and as many other U.S. officials have admitted privately, Israel or its supporters, the organized Jewish community, has such a grip on America's political life uh, that basically our hands are tied from being any kind of real uh, fair arbiter of the situation. And the world knows this. The world is very aware of this. It's only the Americans who are as deceived as they are. And that's why this is reflected over and over in the United Nations. When votes come up before the General Assembly or even the Security Council, the United States and Israel and a handful of other countries like Micronesia and the Marshall Islands will be on one side and the whole rest of the world is on the other. Why is that? Is it because American leaders are more wise, more, dis, more dispassionate, more uh, just than leaders of uh, Japan or Argentina or Norway or Finland? No, it's because of this tremendous power, this grip that the organized Jewish community has on the American uh, political life and, uh, and, and uh, cultural life. I was talking with Sam Dixon uh, earlier this week, and we were talking about history, and I think it pertained actually to this, this issue that we're discussing now. And um, he said something that I jotted down. It was a simple thing, I guess, in some ways, but also quite profound. He was talking about how important history is. Uh, he was saying that history is our collective memory, and it's as important to a nation as an individual's memories are uh, as important to him or her. And in Western nations, not only is our history or our memory being erased, but even worse, it's being replaced with false memories. And uh, keep that in mind now, folks, when I read this next thing to Mark from the Wall Street Journal. The, the headline reads that this is from uh, the October 18th edition of the Wall Street Journal, Hamas's hospital lie and the laws of war. The jihadists directly target civilians, which is a war crime, is the subheadline. And then if you go down a little bit into the article, Mark, I was reading this. And uh, this is a paragraph that begins by reading, which brings us to the larger context regarding the laws of war and casualties. There are two bedrock principles in war that civilized nations developed over centuries. The first is that you cannot target civilians. On that standard, every Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and Hezbollah rocket attack on Israel is a war crime. They are aimed at cities with the hope of falling on an unlucky home or cafe. When I read that, Mark, what do you think the first thing I thought of was? <laughs> Uh, I, I can imagine several, but what was it? I, I, well, it was Dresden. I mean, how how in the world can Americans take the high ground when you look at what happened to uh, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, Dresden? I mean, that well, was nothing course, except yes, for civilian right. attacks. That's, that's it. Yeah, that's that shows a more historical sense than some people have. But you can make the same point about about the, the, the Ukraine war. Uh, American claims yes. that when uh, Russia. Uh, shut off electrical power or water power to a, a town or a city in Ukraine, that's a war crime, America said. That's what the head of the European Commission, European Union said. That's a war crime. Israel does that routinely. They've been out. They've cut off all electricity and water and, and f fuel to, uh, to Gaza. It's like an open-air prison. That's a war crime. Israel is guilty of numerous war crimes and has been for years. This point can't be emphasized enough. But it's not only Israel violating of these international standards, they violate even American law. 
Uh, one example is Israel uses phosphorus uh, uh, bombs and cluster bombs. That's illegal by American law. They're supplied to Israel only for use in defense against a, uh, an invasion or a, a threat to their very existence. Israel has violated this for years. We had a talk by a former congressman, Pete McCloskey, who made this point that, and Israel simply denied it for a long time until it was finally obvious that it was true. In fact, they got the uh, hardware and so forth. And then Israel just, uh, uh, by that time, hopes, as they often uh, correctly do, that Americans will forget and our politicians will forget. Israel has been violating international law and even American law for many, many years with no consequences and they know they can get away with it all right let's take one more break with mark weber ihr.org to stay up uh, on the latest of his wonderful organization and to stay in touch with mark himself ihr.org we will continue this discussion right after these words hello tpc family it's james and i've got to tell you that i sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the conservative citizens foundation the purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while at the same time exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, MericaFirst.com That's M-E-R-I-C-A 1-S-T dot com MericaFirst.com have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements, too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Always an enthralling and informative conversation when Mark Weber is our guest uh, talking again about this situation in the Middle East, uh, the most recent flare-up in a seemingly never-ending state of unrest. Uh, Mark, I want to go back very quickly to this Wall Street Journal article from this week that I quoted from just a moment ago. I'll reread just the first couple of sentences from that uh, last paragraph that I shared uh, as a reminder. Uh, and it reads, which brings us to the larger context regarding the laws of war and casualties. There are two bedrock principles in war that civilized nations developed over centuries. The first is that you can't target civilians. And then skipping down to the next paragraph, the second principle is proportionality. 
which is that uh, incidental casualties have to be balanced against the war aims. This is based on the expectation that in any war there will be some innocents killed, but that they must be related to the goals of self-defense. The standard isn't zero casualties, which is impossible, but it is as few civilian casualties as possible. So, again, you don't have to go back to World War II, Mark. You're, you're quite right. What about Iraq? Was that the sort of uh, a model that America uh, exhibited uh, during the, the war in Iraq? And it's if our national memory, our history is being erased and replaced with false memories, that doesn't mean that that's the case in the rest of the world. The rest of the world <laughs> remembers these things, which leads me to my next question. What are the odds, in your opinion, that this will be just another flare-up, as I said, in this decades-long conflict, or uh, what are the odds, in your opinion, that it may spiral into a regional conflict or even greater than that? Well, that's a big concern that the entire world has, that it will not uh, expand into a larger conflict. And in fact, I'm very confident that when Biden was just recently in Israel, by the way, he wanted to visit other countries, but the leaders of Jordan and uh, Egypt refused right. even to meet with him because they're too embarrassed to be seen with him. But that's another matter. No, I mean, I'm sure one of his big uh, uh, pleas with Netanyahu is don't do things that are going to Ex uh, make this expand into a larger war. Uh, one of the most uh, uh, ridiculous things, uh, voices that have been said in, uh, hear, heard in Washington in recent years comes from especially Republican leaders. Lindsey Graham says the United States and Israel should bomb Iran now. We should expand the war to Iran because Iran yep. uh, supports. And is, an Israeli official was on uh, RT television talking about how Russia is going to be made to pay a price for its uh, neutrality or kind of support, I guess, for uh, the Palestinians over time. This is very, very dangerous because as American officials warned, even before Israel is established, that if we side with Israel, Israel's enemies will become America's enemies. And that's very, very blatantly contrary to the interests of any uh, 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 American who really cares about America. Um, but uh, anyway, that's one big danger that could expand. It probably will not. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, knock on wood, that it will not. But that will take some uh, careful thing because people are furious. The second point, though, is this uprising or this latest round of, of violence, you might say, has is it's 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 something's changing. The world is increasingly aware that there is not just one side, the good guy side in this thing, and that's the Israelis, but that the Israel has been carrying out policies which are contrary to the principles that mo the countries that support Israel claim they, they, they uphold. Uh, supposedly, they're in favor of democracy, but Israel carries out a, is an apartheid state. Uh, that, that designation has been made by the world's leading human rights organizations, they discriminate on the basis of ancestry. And they've done that since the very beginning. The United States says that any European country that has a, um, a, a ethno-nationalist outlook and an ethno-nationalist policy is completely unacceptable to Americans, but it's okay if Israel does it. It makes a mockery of America's pretense to support this idea of liberal democracy 
in the world and in, especially in the United States. You know, during the break, there was a news report talking about uh, America's calling for the release of hostages by Hamas. I understand that. That's understandable. But people don't, have, uh, don't want to know Israel holds thousands of Palestinians <laughs> as hostage, thousands, many of them without even the pretense of any uh, judicial hearing. I mean, uh, but the United States doesn't say anything about releasing people who Israel holds as, as prisoners without even the, the pretense in many cases of any even kind of judicial, judicial hearing. But that's again, another example, this one-sided way in which the news is presented in America. Another point that on that news break they talked about was U.S. citizens in Israel. Well, yeah, they're U.S. citizens. They're probably dual citizens. They have both Israeli and American citizenship. But these people obviously and clearly are Zionists. That is, they believe their primary loyalty isn't to the United States. It's to Israel and to the world Jewish community. That's the essence of Zionism. Zionist, the Zionist outlook is that Jews constitute a distinct nation. They're not just Americans who happen to be have a Jewish religion or a background or an ancestry. Zionism says they are members of a supranational uh, uh, peoplehood and that their primary loyalty should be to that, not to the country in which they live. So, but America's gotten into this situation because America has, uh, since the 1940s, proclaimed it's a country for everyone. So even if you're uh, Chinese or Arab or Jewish or whatever, we're all Americans. Well, a country doesn't hold together like that. And of course, consistent with that, Biden and most American politicians say they celebrate what they call diversity. Well, it's so diverse, there isn't any real concept of even uh, by most American politicians and our media of what it means to be an American, except people have a piece of paper or a passport saying they're an American citizen. But again, even the news break that you had in this show re reflects this very one-sided way in which the news is presented in the American media. Well, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and what else would you expect from something that <laughs> piped in like that? No, but yeah, that's no, a, no. I don't know who does, who does our news breaks at this town hall. We, we've used some different ones over the years. But nevertheless, um, yes, I mean, you don't see. Well, I will tell you this, though, that is interesting. I mean, yes, on one hand, it, from that tier of media, you're getting it. Uh, but there is a lot of uh, diversity of opinion for a change on this yes. amongst amongst the people. I mean, you're seeing it on college campuses, even some of these. I mean, I don't know. You know, politics makes strange bedfellows. You know, you got some of the squad that are saying some things that I have a little bit of common ground with on this one. But uh, you have seen more of a backlash amongst Americans that wouldn't normally be running mates politically. Uh, that has been, well, I don't know if it's surprising, but it's certainly noteworthy. Yes, yes, it is changing. But there's very, very few, uh, even especially Republican Party. Uh, who have anything like a balanced or pro-American real view of the whole thing. They're so, uh, I mean, N Nikki Haley claims uh, that uh, the uh, Hamas attack is an attack on America, and it's not that Israel needs America, she says, but America needs Israel. This is turning reality really on the, on its head. Somehow America existed for a long time before Israel was even founded. But this is typical well, of the kind of crazy talk that you'll find of leaders of the party that Sam Francis used to call the stupid party. I've got a and question for you. 
Uh, about this, Mark, please. Uh, the, uh, they say that all the time. Yes, they're our greatest ally. They're our indispensable ally. Uh, what do they actually do for us? I'm not asking that as a joke, but, I mean, they, right. they never really go, and you're just supposed to accept that as, as, as a fact. But what, what does Israel actually do to help America? Right, right. I mean, it's a one-sided relationship. In fact, uh, is, uh, Jew, uh, Zionist leaders and pro-Israel leaders in America insist that America must support Israel. Uh, it, 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 on balance, it, it, it is a very, very uh, negative relationship for the United States, for those people who care about real American interests. But already for many years, certainly since the 1940s, American foreign policy has reflected not what's good for America, but who has power in America? Who helps politicians get elected? And what that is, those, that's a, an indictment really of our entire political system, of both parties. And Biden is a prime example of that. In 2015, or he gave a, in a talk to, gave a, a speech to a Jewish group. He said, no group in America has had such an influence, such a, a power to shape the thinking of Americans as the Jewish community. He, said he was Jewish complimenting leaders, them, and, and he still got reprimanded. I remember that. He was reprimanded only for saying it, not because they disagree <laughs> with it, but he doesn't want the Gentiles to hear it. But again, I mean, Biden knows that, and he's a politician. His whole life has been a career as a politician. And politicians, their first and primary uh, job is to get is to stay in power to get reelected and they'll say and do what's necessary to make that happen and so the interests of america certainly even in the short term much less in the long term take a big backseat to their own uh, stature their own prestige their own power their own position all right, closing this thing out, another hour gone by far too quickly with Mark Weber. We have about two minutes remaining. You can stay up on the latest news at IHR.org. But, uh, Mark, if, if someone wants to sort of follow this and follow the developments from a fact-based perspective, where do they go? Well, you can what? find an awful lot on our website. There's an enormous archives and library of material. And we have, a, of course, a search feature you can go in and find a lot about that um it, it, there's uh, there's also a um a study guide of uh, books that i recommend on a number of uh, different subjects uh in, in in that um including the middle east including uh israel u.s relations and so forth there's any number of, of very good books and uh on this and so you'll find again guides guide about that on on our website and there's other websites too that even focus much more on the middle east than, than we do I mean, my, my, our, our primary uh, purpose is not just the Middle East. That's only one aspect of a, of a, of a much larger issue. No, no, yeah, exactly right. And, and having a firm grasp on the history of this conflict is important. We've been talking about history off and on this entire hour. But with regards to the current conflict as it evolves day to day, what's a current news website that people could go to to kind of cut through the propaganda? Is there one? Um, well, there's a lot of pro-Palestinian uh, ones. I mean, the BBC is more balanced than certainly Fox News or, or CNN and so forth. Uh, but uh, it, I do uh, urge people, though, to stay away from those which are highly speculative, uh, which, which are uh, much more emotional and driven by that than, than, than ones. So, yeah, I, I don't have any one yeah, I, I think to, it sounds like you're either going to get Palestinian propaganda or pro-Israeli no, propaganda. Mean, I, again, Palestinian uh, uh, websites and uh, Arab ones, they're going to be much more website. There's very little 
uh, from a point of view of, uh, you might say, a perspective that Americans used to have up until the uh, 1940s. Mark, thank you so much for coming back with us. Uh, we appreciate it. Always appreciate your time, and we'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Mark Weber, ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Institute for Historical Review, IHR.org, one of the best of the best. Thank you again, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more. Up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover SelfDefenseFund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. You're listening to Resolution Radio. Radio, radio. ResolutionRDO.com In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com You're listening to The Political Cesspool on ResolutionRDO.com Call and listen now at 607-203-5423 That's 607-203-5423 Thanks for listening to Project Schoolyard Volume 2. For more information about the project, as well as lyrics to the songs on this CD, please visit www.tightrope.cc. You can also find jokes, news articles, a photo gallery, free CD downloads, and a secure online shopping cart. We carry a full line of flags, t-shirts, CDs, books, stickers, and other products of interest to racially conscious white people. Please visit www.tightrope.cc. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool. Known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, we continue on tonight, this Saturday evening, October the 21st. Let's take a break to say hello to Keith Alexander, who is not in studio tonight, but rather joining us via telephone. Keith, how are you? I'm doing great. Under the circumstances, you know, uh, <laughs> don't know what is going to uh, happen <laughs> next. But I, I tell you what, the uh, Israel the Israel uh, Palestinian problem, uh, you know, dwarfs the Russian Ukraine thing for potential for you know breaking out into uh, you know a major war. In well, my I'll tell. Well, we addressed that with Mark Weber in the first hour, and he gave another good treatment that followed up uh, what we were talking about last week, uh, two hours, and uh, Kevin McDonald in there on that second hour, John Friend as well. And uh, tonight uh, that that conversation continues, but let's take a quick time out uh, for a couple of announcements. You just heard from Mark Weber offering his expert uh, 
analysis on uh, that issue in the Middle East. Uh, and a little bit later on tonight, we have another treat for you, ladies and gentlemen. Sam Dixon is going to be co-hosting the third and final hour. We're really more than that. He's actually going to be interviewing, for the most part, Virginia Abernathy, uh, who was uh, going to be back. Now, Virginia was with us a few weeks ago to tease a new autobiography uh, that uh, was about to be released. Well, that autobiography was just released yesterday. The title, Born Abroad. A Patriot's Tale of Choice and Chance was delivered to my home just yesterday, hot off the press. It was the first day you could get it. And we'll be talking with her about that. Sam Dixon hosting the third hour. You're not going to want to miss uh, them being paired up in that capacity. But first, Keith and I have, well, how did I put it on the show notes today? Plus, plenty of commentary from James and Keith on an exceptionally busy week of news. So I guess, Keith, we should just get started right there. Uh, you know, it's two weeks now since we last talked to Steve King on this program, and uh, it is a topsy-turvy battle for the gavel still. It has not been resolved. It looked like it was going to be Jim Jordan. Then it was going to be Steve Scalise. Then it was going to be Jim Jordan again. Now there's the, some new guy that, you know, supposedly the front runner. But we are a full two weeks into this now. And I guess I have to ask, how has your life personally been affected by the absence of a House Speaker, Keith? Uh, not at all. In fact, it's probably been a, a blessing because they aren't getting any new lit, uh, legislation passed. And uh, that's about the best we can hope from for, for Congress nowadays. <laughs> Sad but true. And, uh, of course, you know, we're up against this, uh, where they always act like it's a catastrophe, uh, this um, mid-November government funding deadline. Remember, this was the thing that supposedly got Gates so irate against McCarthy. He did this deal with Biden that sort of extended the thing, kicked the can down the road for another 45 days. Well, that 45 days is up here in another couple of weeks. And uh, I guess there'd be a lot of bureaucrats not getting a paycheck if that went kaput. But another thing that wouldn't be a couple of other leeches that, that wouldn't, wouldn't be, be getting, a tragedy, would it? <laughs> a couple of I others a tragedy that, I could live with. <laughs> well, and they wouldn't be the only ones uh, not getting any any more money. I guess they can't send money to Ukraine and Israel until they get the situation resolved up there. Of course, Biden wants another well, hundred like billion said, to go it out. Sounds like the best thing that we could hope for. Well, hopefully it'll continue. It's certainly historic. It's certainly chaotic. But uh, nevertheless, uh, two weeks in and still not a, uh, not a resolution. And uh, your guess is as good as mine as to who's going to uh, end up uh, taking over that thing. But anyway, uh, I've got something here from Ramsey Paul. This was something you and I were talking about on the phone yesterday when we were trying to prep this thing. Oh, here it is. Uh, I'm a little bit... Uh, Slow on the draw tonight here. Uh, let's see if this will pull up here on my laptop. Okay. So this is Ramsey Paul talking about another aspect of what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians, Hamas, Gaza, however you want to define them, uh, that really hasn't been touched on. We're going to touch on it now. Ramsey Paul writes, let me get this straight. Israel wants to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians with weapons my tax dollars funded. And groups like the ADL then demand that I must take the Palestinians into my homeland and fund their housing and medical care. And we will be expected to give them preferential treatment and job scholarships and promotions. And if we object, the ADL will call us white supremacists. So this is this is something that's been talked about. You know, America, and I was talking about it with Mark Weber, America's kind of seen around the world, certainly in that region, as Israel's golem. We're going to, you know, 
have a, a, a proxy war here. We're kind of funding and, and, and helping Israel uh, engage and litigate this war. We're going to blow these people up. We're going to displace them. And then we're going to bring them in over here. And what do you think happens? You, what do you think happens when they come over here, Keith, and they know uh, that uh, America was the reason, and, and at least a, a part of the reason, this happened in the first place? Well, two things could happen, okay? They could either take out their uh, spleen on Americans generally, which would be bad, or they could take it out, focus on the Jewish community, and that would be very interesting. You know, uh, just open the floodgates, let them in, and then locate them next to the uh, Jewish <laughs> neighborhoods and sit back and watch the fur fly. Well, and, but, they, and uh, I know you're, you're saying that jokingly, but you're right. I mean, it would just breed more contempt and ill will and upheaval here in America. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't We're make the sense. dumping ground for the world. You know, Egypt doesn't want them. Jordan doesn't want them. Saudi Arabia doesn't want them. And they're supposedly kinfolk to those people. You know, they're uh, fellow Arabs or at least fellow Muslims. But that doesn't matter. They're not going to take them. Russia's not going to take them. China certainly isn't going to take them. Why are we the world's uh, sucker of last resort all the time? We need to just, uh, that's why I'm well, saying. Western, Western Europe, I mean, the United States. from our government is that we get, that they do nothing, action. for example. Gridlock, right, you know, yeah, more, more gridlock. I mean, like you, the United Thomas States Jefferson's is. famous statement, you know. The United States is certainly the one that would probably uh, take in the most, but it's it's Western Europe too. I saw Scotland's clamoring to take some of them in. It's just going to be more unrest, more ill will, more discontent. These people aren't going to come over here happy. They're going to know what role the Western nations played in this. Well, see, the fact that Scotland is taking them in happily and we have people over here that would take them in happily shows that these people have been brainwashed. You know, they don't have enough sense to understand what the rest of the world understands, which is that these people would be a tremendous burden. They're not going to assimilate into any uh, society uh, that is markedly different from their own. They're going to have a chip on their shoulder. They're particularly going to have a chip on their shoulder against uh, Americans. And uh, first, I guess Israelis first, then Americans, then Western Europeans. But none of these people, see, we, we've got to just learn how to say no, like, you know, the, the old drug program they had back in the Bush administration, just say no. We need to just say no to Israel, to the Palestinians, and to everyone else and say we sympathize with your plight, but that's going to be the extent of it. We're not going to send you bushel uh, barrels for worth of money to, uh, you know, save your wounds and ease your pain. Uh, we just need to learn to do what the rest of the world has learned uh, to do, which is to say thanks but no thanks. Uh, and if if the what the Israelis are doing over there is basically genocide, and it does you no good at all to point out the hypocrisy of the Jewish left. And you know the left is basically Jewish in America, at least the driving force behind it. You know the brains of. Uh, the Gentiles may be the uh, foot soldiers, but the, all the generals are Jewish in every Hold on right there. movement we have. Keith, we got a break. Uh, we are going to spend one more segment on this, and then we're going to spend the last half of this hour talking about uh, other completely separate issues to give you a little variety. So stay tuned, folks. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. 
Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit. A battle between forces that would enslave this country in darkness and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. The mission of the Epic Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements in fact. TheEpicTimes.com Looking for an IT partner that truly understands your needs? Managed IT Services is the answer. We meet with you regularly to discuss your goals and form a tailored technology plan. Our customers have called us a trusted advisor who delivers. When it comes to IT, we do it all. Firewalls, cloud storage, server migration, and more. Say goodbye to long-term contracts and hello to a team that earns your business month after month. Call 801-706-6980 now and let Managed IT Services transform your IT experience. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one more segment on uh, the unrest in the Middle East, and then uh, Keith Alexander and yours truly are going to uh, talk about some vast and varied topics before this hour ends. Uh, but, Keith, uh, to the point we were making before the break, Kevin McDonald, who was our guest again last week uh, to break down this um, issue, uh, has since written an article. Uh, it's a short one. Uh, a short read, and I'd like to read it for you now and get your response. Uh, the title of it is The Enemy of Your Enemy, and it talks about importing uh, these uh, Palestinians who are being displaced, and this is what Dr. McDonald writes. The vicious attack by the Palestinians in Gaza is certainly understandable, given the apartheid ethnic cleansing and essentially de uh, establishing Gaza as an open-air prison where supplies allowed in are strictly limited to ensure an essentially starvation-level diet for Gazans. The Western media is replete with images of Jewish suffering and civilians who have been raped, murdered, or taken hostage, but we are well aware that the same media routinely ignores atrocities against Palestinian civilians, atrocities that have been going on for decades. It's always psychologically difficult to be a dissenter from the moral panic that is now gripping all the high ground of Western culture. It's a moral panic similar to the outpouring of concern for Ukraine, even though a Western victory would be the establishment of all the poisonous trends of the West from mass immigration from the rest of the world to gender insanity. That is an excellent point. That would be what happens if Ukraine, quote-unquote, wins this war. That's what you're going to get imported in there. Most of us, uh, Dr. McDonald continues, 
would um, want to be seen as the good guys. And we are, although I'm fairly used to being condemned as a moral reprobate by now, since writing critical pieces about Jews will definitely bring down a deluge of hatred. It's never easy. We're advocates for our people at a time when unprecedented hatred against whites throughout the West, hatred that, in my opinion, can be traced to the rise of a new substantially Jewish elite in the media, the academic world, and via donations, politics. Jews are a powerful component of our elite, and in general, uh, they are suffused with historical grudges against the West, from the destruction of the temple by the Romans, to the medieval expulsions, to the 19th century uh, pogroms uh, in Eastern Europe, to the 1924 immigration law, to the Holocaust. It is a group that is utterly incapable of attributing any hostility towards Jews as understandable responses by non-Jews to Jewish behavior. The current Israeli-Gaza war is yet another example. As always, Jews are innocent victims. End of story. And the result is that we are inundated with context-free accounts of Jewish suffering. Such accounts are the entire focus of the vast majority of the Western media. And, of course, the politicians fall in line, knowing full well that departing from this media-manufactured moral consensus would be the end of their careers. But... What I want to emphasize here is that this does not mean that I am a cheerleader for the Palestinians. The Palestinians are a typical Middle Eastern people, and all that entails in terms of non-Western social forms, the clans, the collectivism, and Islam with its long history of hatred against Europe. I recall going to a Palestinian protest at the University of California, Irvine, and coming to the conclusion that these people are not our friends. Dr. McDonald concludes by writing, the increasing presence of such people in Western societies is a disaster. And one could be forgiven for thinking that Israel would be happy to export Palestinians to Western countries, as has been proposed for African refugees in Israel. Problem solved. So he's writing, yes, he understands what's going on here, Keith. That is a fantastic piece. If you want to read it for yourself, you can go to thepoliticalcesspool.org. We cross-posted it. It's also at the Occidental Observer. But he's saying, in spite of all of this, all of this history in the Middle East, importing these people is compounding a bad idea. It's a disaster on top of a disaster for us. Well, we're these suckers. The rest of the world is not going to take the Palestinians. They're not going to take the Ethiopian Jews. The Jews in Israel are interested in ethnically cleansing their nation of any strangers, including white Gentile Christians, okay? Uh, they don't, you're not welcome over there, really. You know, they, they have people that will spit on all of these, you know, uh, blinded Christian fundamentalists that go over there on, you know, with John Hagee or some other uh, fundamentalist preacher uh, that is taking them over there to see the Holy Land. They're being spat upon by these uh, Orthodox Jews over there, the Hasidic ones. And apparently we just never seem to get the message. Uh, I don't. You know, there, there's a big movement now trying to blame somebody other than the Jews for our predicament in America and in the West generally. Uh, how our cultures have been taken over, how all the positions of authority, power, and wealth have been taken over, and a lot of people want to blame the boomers, but the real culprits are the Christian fundamentalists, the ones that believe this. Uh, Jewish dispensationalist nonsense is heresy that the Jews can do no wrong. He who blesses Israel is blessed. He who curses Israel is cursed. And it's a shame because these are the people like white Southerners, for example, who are the most racially aware 
people in America, but they are the least Jewish aware people in America. And they're the ones that, uh, you know, they would rather, you know, uh, uh, drink, uh, you know, poison than say anything bad about Jews. But you've got to say that you've got to name them. The people that will not name the Jews uh, in our movement, I think there are some people that think they're just really superior to us and that if you can't lick them, join them and see if you can uh, get the crumbs from their table. Well, let me tell you, you'll be lucky to get the crumbs from their table. They put you not just below them. They put you at the very bottom of the totem pole as a white Gentile. And more and more white Gentiles need to understand this cooperating with the Jewish uh, plan for the world, which is to use us as the world's garbage dump for people that they don't want around. And uh, also, they have a, a special animus against white Gentile Christians. If you are a white Gentile Christian, and we, our ancestors are the people that founded this nation, you need to be aware of who your enemies are. And we need to basically, uh, what we need to do is nothing. We don't need to be sending money over there. We don't need to be supporting Israel with military uh, hardware. We don't need to be sending billions of dollars over there or any money over there, to tell you the truth. And we certainly don't need to be taking Palestinian refugees in over here. We basically were blessed by God to be isolated from the old world. We're protected by two large moats called the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean. And there was no need for us to get involved in any of the world wars in the last century or any of these other wars. Basically, we could sit over here, ignore the rest of the world, and um, just be swimming in prosperity, except for the fateful day in the Chester A. Arthur administration back in the late 19th century when they decided to allow Jews to emigrate to America. That's where all the problems started. They started to take over America's uh, citadels of power in the Woodrow Wilson administration, and by the end of the Ronald Reagan administration, it was a fait accompli. All right, so I got I to gotta bring this up. That's what we're dealt with. Well, I think what you're saying is, and what I agree with, is there is so much disinformation out there. Uh, there is so much propaganda. It is hard to see what's really going on with clear eyes, but I think what we can see and what conclusion we can draw is this is not our war in any way, and we're going to let them figure it out. Now, I would say this, though. You, were, you touched on this a moment ago, uh, and, and we talked about this with Mark Weber as well. Very, very interesting poll uh, from CNN uh, that found, according to their poll, we'll, we'll take this one at, at, at their word for argument's sake, that 81% of Americans aged 64 and over is standing with Israel, uh, whereas only 27% of the fighting-aged men in America, those aged 18 to 34, are standing with Israel. That is a wide gulf uh, from one end of the age spectrum to the other, uh, and those 81% are going to be gone, uh, you know, and not too much longer. If you're already in your upper 60s and 70s or beyond, uh, you're you're not going to be here too much longer. And a lot of that support for Israel is just going to be gone in another 10 to 20 years. Well, the only way it's going to be gone, in my opinion, James, is if people like us, voices in dissent of the standard of of rhetoric about, you know, he who blesses Israel is blessed, he who curses Israel is cursed. The people that go to these fundamentalist churches where that type of 
theology is prevalent, they're a problem. Our older people have been subject to a, a Pavlovian psychological conditioning over their lifetimes about how the Jews are nothing but victims. They are made to think that uh, next to uh, the Bible, the uh, uh, most inerrant uh, topic of information you could focus upon is the Holocaust. The Holocaust is, you know, every bit of it is absolutely true, and there's nothing, anyone who dissents from it is uh, an evil person. Well, this is what I'm saying the, now. Like, I mean, the younger people don't have that, yet they haven't been subject to the same Pavlovian uh, onslaught. They have, plus. they have, they have been. It's just not taking. Uh, it's just a different. Well, the thing is, thing that what has happened? We got to take a break. We got to take a break. Hold meantime. it. We'll be right back. Pursuing liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Skip Kelly. Israel bombarded Gaza with more airstrikes overnight, killing dozens of Palestinians. More than 4,300 Palestinians have been killed and another 13,000 injured since the war with Hamas began two weeks ago. That's according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health. The Israeli government warns its people against traveling to Egypt and Jordan and that those already there should leave immediately due to threats of harm against Israelis and Jews. Israel has also increased its warning for Morocco, telling Israelis to avoid all non essential travel to the North African country and all Muslim nations. Oklahoma's Republican Congressman Kevin Hearn is back in the running for Speaker of the House, while the former House Speaker is putting blame on his own party for all the dysfunction. Kevin McCarthy is placing blame on the small faction of conservatives who removed him from the Speaker position for the current party dysfunction. We are in a very bad position as a party, one that has won the majority, one that America has entrusted us with, that a simple eight people have put us in this place. The statement comes as the Republican majority continues to struggle with electing a new speaker two weeks after McCarthy's ousting. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan faced opposition from roughly two dozen colleagues and lost three floor votes for Speaker of the House this week, leading to his withdrawal as the party's nominee following a confidential ballot. I'm John Schaefer. Former President Trump and his once lawyer could meet again in the same courtroom. Michael Cohen says he'll return to New York this coming week to testify in the civil fraud trial of the former president. Cohen's initial court appearance was delayed due to a medical issue last week. He's scheduled to testify on Tuesday. A judge has ruled that Trump and his businesses committed fraud by falsely inflating and deflating the value of its assets in order to lower taxes and receive better insurance coverage. Cohen previously testified in 2019 that his former boss artificially inflated his wealth, and he provided testimony to a House committee earlier this year about Trump's involvement in a hush money scheme. I'm Jeremy Scott. And this is USA News. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-5141. 800-215-5141. 
That's 800-215-5141. Keith, just very quickly, one more hit on this, because i got to get your take on some other issues that are in the news this week. But we were just talking about the 81% of those 64 and older stand with Israel 27% 27% of those aged 18 to 34 do. I mean, they are getting the same media. It just matter. I guess it's a question of what media they're watching. They're not watching Fox News and CNN. They're getting it off the Internet. They're getting it from yeah, alternative they're, sources. They're taking it from the TPC, Oxdale Observer, the Underview. Well, they have I don't know about that. Things but, like that. Uh, but on the other hand, that that is having its effect. There is a couple down the street from me that a year ago, they just would not hear a discouraging word about Jews under any circumstances. And they have now been converted. They now realize that they are the source of all that ails us here in America and in Western Europe, and that they are not just people that have a different viewpoint that is contrary to ours. They are actually set against us. They are uh, that, that they are an enemy. They're not just uh, people with a different viewpoint. So I uh, that that's the eighty-one percent. The eighty-one percent are people that you know they can't get on the internet. They just turn on the television set or the radio, and they hear Ben Ferguson or Mark Levin or Sean Hannity or somebody like that. And of course, those guys wouldn't touch the Jewish issue with a ten-foot pole. Well, not only and, hey, listen, uh, 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 Sean Hannity's standing on his head uh, up in arms about this, about America not doing more to go fight for it. Of course, people like Sean Hannity, you know, if they believe it like that. If I believed that, I would do it. Sean Hannity and Lindsey Graham need to enlist. They need to you know, leave Congress, and they need to leave Fox News, and they need to enlist and go over there and fight. That's what they need to do. And that may be another reason. All these, the 81% are people that are in no danger personally of being drafted and going to war. <laughs> well, that, hand, that's <laughs> another way. Yeah. Hey, well, that's, way, that's right. I mean, that's it. I mean, the, the Zoomers are checked out on going to war in Iran. But there is a ton of social media backlash against the Israelis. I mean, there is a lot more very heated disagreement on this than you would have ever seen, you know, a, a decade or more ago. It's, well, uh, let, let it, me it's, tell you, it's you've got to check the temperature level of it, too. Boomers and Zoomers and people like this may be slanting or trending towards Israel, but they're not strong. The, the strongest proponents of Israel can do no harm are the Christian fundamentalists that have bought into the Schofield Reference Bible and John Darby's dispensationalist uh, theology. That's that. That's if you can crack that walnut. That's well, this is what we said. This, I, I addressed that. I addressed that a little bit with Mark. I mean, that type of uh, you know, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson have already gone home to their eternal reward, and the people of that mindset, but I think, John Hagee is alive and well, and all. No, these but other no, I mean, but he's old there. too, and he's overweight, so we'll see. But uh, I did see this though, where uh, BLM. Uh, BLM was taking flack this week. Now, what in the world could have made BLM take flack from the American media or the so-called American media? I think even Coke, uh, Coca-Cola had to answer for a donation uh, that it gave to BLM. Why? Because BLM burned down cities and and uh, attacked cops? No, that's fine. All that was okay. It, it was because some of these BLM spokesmen were speaking out against Israel, and now all of a sudden, hey, now, we got to wrap these guys on the head. Uh, these guys aren't so good anymore, and people who donate to them need to answer for it if they're going to make so-called anti-Semitic comments, which, yeah, of course, the, the anti-Semitic. Squad. The so-called well, squad I mean, is totally against uh, Israel. 
and for the Palestinians. But I'm talking about not BLM, not them. I'm just the talking about ra- random BLM people out in America are, are are getting bad press for once, not for burning down cities or attacking cops, but for saying something that was not entirely favorable. Well, you talk about Israel. a golem. The Jews have created groups like BLM and the Squad and people like that. That's that. They were the golem that has turned on its maker, like Frankenstein's monster was supposedly a golem, and it turned on its maker. Well, that's what's happening. And the thing about the Palestinians, Chuck Schumer has even mentioned this. He said, look, if you bring those people over here, it's hard to tell a Jew from a Gentile if they're, you know, a reformed Jewish guy or something. You have to really be focused in on them. But if you go to a place like Crown Heights in Brooklyn, where the Hasidic people are wearing those black hats and have those long dreadlocks and everything and uh, dress so distinctively, they are walking targets for the Palestinians. And he has mentioned that he is fearful that if we bring Palestinians over here, those people will be targeted. Of course, he doesn't care two hoots in hell whether they come after the rest of us. Well, I, I, well that's all. Christians, that's fine. But he, I don't even he want really th- is concerned they'll go after them. Well, and I don't want Jews. that to happen either. I don't want retaliation against uh, I, Jews. I, I, I don't want, everybody I don't to want any of that to happen. But on the other I want hand, a homeland for everybody. You know, I want a homeland for everybody and everybody to go in their homeland where they can be at peace but, because but, uh, this I, inter, I, interfaith I and interracial thing is just conflict. You, though, I don't want to disappoint you in any way, but Chuck Schumer doesn't share your uh, uh, you know kind of broad uh, – condemnation that if, if his, his one principle that governs his life is is it good for the jews he doesn't worry believe me i know that i've been I, they, they've been after me for 20 years and they never stop yeah uh, i i i got it but has a lot more influence on what our government does than you or i do giant james and that's uh, well, that's true uh, that, well, that may well, be the well, saving well, grace one way or another but on the other hand whatever it is the jews will be responsible for it because whatever they want is what's going to happen Okay, that's what I'm fearful of. I wish uh, I wish we could have enough, the light bulb come on over enough white Gentiles' heads, so that they could understand that it's really important that we distance ourselves from Israel because we have. It's not safe for Americans to travel overseas now. It's, it's certainly not safe for you to go to a Muslim country right now. And Israel. I don't think a lot of Americans realize that. Oh, or Israel or any place. You know, you're basically. You better uh, stay put in America because, uh, you know, America's, you know, uh, we've sown the wind and are reaping the whirlwind. That's why all these people, we have all these hostages over there. I don't want to be a hostage. (laughs) Me either. And I don't want you to be either or anyone else. Let's have some common sense separation here. Society is made of people with conflicting faiths and race and culture and all of that. It just doesn't work. And I think you see that, right? In the Middle East, you see that, folks, don't you? It just doesn't work. It's not going to work here or there or anywhere. She said, rather than diversity being our greatest strength, strength, can you think of any nation or empire in the world which had racial and cultural diversity in which the racial and cultural diversity was not a tremendous problem? For the Roman Empire, it was the cause of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. There has not been one. There has not been one in the history of the world, not one multicultural society that was made better. Look look at Yugoslavia. They got all those different Balkans groups together, supposedly one happy family under one government. 
Well, as soon as the uh, secret police and the terror tactics were relieved, they broke up and they've been warring at each other ever since. <laughs> it's still going on right. at it today. <laughs> All right. I got to switch gears here. I'm sure we'll be, well, we won't be back on this next week. Next week is the 19th anniversary celebration show, so we'll be doing that. But we'll, we'll be back on this before you know it. Uh, but Keith, anarcho-tyranny. I saw a little example of anarcho-tyranny. So we were talking about BLM. You can engage, if you're BLM, you can engage in arson, vandalism, murder even. And, uh, well, I think for murder they might arrest you. I don't know about that. Uh, All of the other stuff up to and including arson and uh, all of that is is forgiven. You get paid, actually, to do it. If you get arrested, they're going to pay you big money. But I saw where Douglas Mackey, who was – went uh, during the age of the alt-right 2016 as Ricky Vaughn on Twitter. Uh, He's going to do a little time now. He got sentenced to prison this week for tweeting that you could vote for Hillary by texting him, uh, by sending a message. Now, anybody who would believe that, anybody who would believe that, it's obviously a joke. It was, uh, you know, uh, this this type of stuff that people did back then. It was just, just just a joke but he's going to jail for that now that's an arc of tyranny he's going to jail for that for saying if you want to vote for hillary text this number and uh, apparently a handful of people did and so that's people don't election. understand that all of this stuff that we were led to believe as boomers and otherwise growing up that there was something righteous and holy about the civil rights movement and their technique of peaceful protest you see what happens when the right tries to adopt those tactics they come after you hammer and tongs. What if Martin Luther King and Jesse Jackson and John Lewis were serving 20-year stints in prison like the people at the January the 6th protest and the other ones that we've had? See, you just uh, people don't understand. They're in jeopardy, for example. Look at Donald Trump's lawyers. They're getting oh, I was about to get to good. that. We're going to go on that in the next segment, but go ahead and give us a quick sneak peek. I got. To, we're going to cover Sydney. Pa- Don't even mention her specifically. We're going to save that for the next segment. But yeah, look what's going on there. Yeah, well, the thing is, you know, you you better you know save yourself. It's every man and woman for himself in today's America, with the uh, left being in charge of the court system and the law enforcement uh, hierarchy and whatnot. Everything is, you know, you everything that you grew up believing about American society, this was a society where we had freedom of speech and you had the right to protest the government's policies. Forget about that. You know, that's passe. We now have the Jewish model running rather than the Anglo-Saxon founding fathers model. Uh, and they're running far from that. And if you try to subscribe to the old way, you'll find yourself behind bars. We'll be right back. Hello, TPC family. It's James, and I've got to tell you that I sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the Conservative Citizens Foundation. The purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while at the same time exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the 
public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years, and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, MericaFirst.com. That's M-E-R-I-C-A-1-S-T dot com, MericaFirst.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies, John 8, Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then, the more they use the lie, the more they reproduce the lie. The more spiritual power they get. Now look, the media is a lie multiplier. And this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast. That power protects the cells of the beast from prosecution. Why isn't Hillary in prison? She is protected. We must restore our national relationship with God. Truth is sacred in the kingdom. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isaiah 9, 6. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. All right, Keith, you were teasing it before the break, uh, the situation in, in Fulton County, Georgia. I mean, I, I, we've said it before. There's just uh, to even try to predict what's going to happen next year is just impossible with regards to election, with regards to Trump. But, 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 but Sydney Powell, we got to talk about her first. So this was one of Trump's main lawyers, you know. Uh, during the right. election, fearless of, uh, Sydney Powell, and Everybody she was going to release the the Kraken. And uh, anyway, she got a sweetheart deal, and now she's going to rat. I, I mean, cooperate. And but the well, thing look, is, yeah. is she really going to be? She's got. Um, I think she got. She got uh, probation. She got a small fine. I mean, just a few thousand dollars, and she's going to quote unquote co- cooperate. Now, if. Is she going to be just telling them what they tell her to tell them, or, or do you think that there was actually any sort of wrongdoing that she's going to inform about? I, I, this, I hate to be this cynical, but our system, our government, our courts are so criminally corrupt, I would not put it past them to say, you can stay out of jail, you can pay a small fine, you can keep your law license, but you're going to tell us that Trump did all of this, whether he did or didn't. I, I could see that. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to happen. And furthermore, nothing is uh, set in concrete. If they don't like her testimony, if she tries to fudge it, all of those uh, promises they've made to her about uh, not taking her law license or not making her serve time in jail, they will evaporate like morning dew. This is like being on the Titanic, James. Titanic is going down. When we first started having a problem, it was women and children first to the lifeboats. Now it's a free-for-all. Everybody is trying to save their own neck. And that's what <laughs> the left has been able to, uh, you know, uh, foist upon the American people by, you know, and if you're still sitting there saying, well, what happened to my Constitution? What happened to my First Amendment rights? What happened to my Second Amendment rights? All of that stuff, you know, you're living in, 
a brave new world, as Aldous Huxley said, or uh, in 1984, as George Orwell said. We have people that have no respect for the principles of the founding of our nation, and they're basically Jewish power and influence. Why do they have no respect for the founding principles of our nation? Because there were no Jews among the founding fathers. It was just a bunch of these junk, dumb, knuckle-headed, uh, knuckle-dragging, troglodyte white Gentiles. And why in the world would uh, anybody, particularly a Jewish person, being the superior people they assume themselves to be, why would we, they be guided or be bound by the brainchild of a bunch of witless goys like ourselves? So uh, that's but, it. You know, that's old. The, the, the new regime is the 1984 Brave New World regime, and people need to realize it. White Christian fundamentalists need to stop. You know, you can go to your church, but don't put anything in the collection plate because that money's going straight to uh, – denominational headquarters, and they're going to use that money to dispossess you and ruin the prospects of your children and grandchildren. And if you are okay with that, well, you know, just jump off of a tall building right now and get done with it. If you're not okay with that, fight back against it. Give me 30 seconds on your reaction when you saw the, uh, the deal that they gave Sidney Powell. Well, I knew what was happening. I knew that this shows you that these people have no faith whatsoever in the legal system, in the judicial system, in the judiciary. Look at that judge that is handling Trump's case in New York. He's a grinning Jewish guy that obviously has. What about the one in D.C.? Well, that's it. Look, they all should be recusing themselves. But they are not going to recuse themselves. They have the power. We were all told that we need. I remember when Louis Brandeis, the first Jew on the U.S. Supreme Court, was on, and we were all congratulated by the powers that be that they were doing the right thing. Then we're getting all these blacks, all these women judges, stuff like this. And, you know, uh, it's just as bad as we were warned it would be by the so-called uh, segregationists back in the civil rights movement. I said, this is not going to turn out well. Well, well it's this, not it's, turning it's, out well. And we've gotten all the way to this, uh, the slight uh, departure. but uh, We got to the point to that the where the lawyers that were ba- basically tr- standing up for the rights of people are now abandoning ship because they know that the system no longer works. It's a broken system. And it's a system that will punish people that try to do the right thing. Well, I got I got another one for you. Uh, give me uh, give me a minute uh, response to this headline. I read this headline, and I mean, you know, you're used to this stuff now. But uh, there was a time not long ago that uh, some people would have been flummoxed over something like this. Headline reads: Miss Universe pageant includes two males. See. I mean, there's nothing. <laughs> you know, they'll, win. they'll probably the win. They're going to win, and they'll, they'll actually even do better than the black women, which are impossible to beat in these things. Well, see, what this is showing is that the left has had such amazing success in transforming our society that they are now left with only, you know, ridiculous fringe position issues like transgenderism or uh, having uh, men in women's beauty contests and things like this as issues. <laughs> and it's good for the rest of us normal people that they're doing this because 
finally were getting through to all these normies that wanted to stick their head in the sand and say, well, you know, the civil rights movement was righteous and only, you know, the homosexual rights movement, homosexuals really did get a bad deal. And, you know, women, feminist movement is great and it's wonderful that you can get a no-fault divorce now and uh, it's just a, a, a striking a blow for freedom. Well, now it's gotten to be so absurd that they can no longer, you know, make those type of arguments and rationalizations to themselves. They know now that there's something seriously wrong with our society and its standards. We're making a laughing stock of ourselves to the rest of the world, particularly like the Muslim world. They say, you know, what has happened to the people in America? They've gone crazy. And the people in China are saying the same thing. The people in Russia are saying the same thing. And you know what? They're right. We, we, if we have a government that does this and there's no pushback and people are not standing up, see, what you need to do, like I said, is just say no. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going well, to, Nancy I'm not Reagan. Going to tune into the uh, Miss America contest if they're going to have men parading around there pretending to be women. Nancy Reagan coined that, didn't she? Well, just say no. Uh, maybe she did. <laughs> well, that know. was the war on, you know, the whole war on drugs, just say no. Uh, you a thousand that, points 80s? of light. I remember Nancy Reagan had something to do with that. You know, <laughs> uh, well, just say no is that old drug uh, uh, catchphrase. But we anyway, just need keep... to say no to the prevailing standards of our society because they're rotten to the core. All right, uh, one more thing, and uh, nothing new under the sun and very little in this business that we haven't seen before uh, over these years that we've been attacked by every media outlet in the world. Certainly in this country, I think all of them in the world, every major one anyway. And Rolling Stone was on deck this week, Keith. Uh, we foreshadowed it last week, said it was coming out, and come out it did. Did you get to read it? Yeah, I did. Wow. <laughs> they decided to put a hit. That their primary target seems to be Sam Bushman, and they think that they can affect, uh, affect his money and make a convert out of him. They have misjudged Sam Bushman. He's, uh, he's not yeah, about to cave in. I don't know that's in. what they thought. I, well, I don't think that I think they that's what they're that. hoping I, to do. I, I don't maybe well but, but they're trying to well they're putting the heat on you're supposedly such a disreputable character that they mentioned that he has something to do with the broadcasting of our show and that's supposed to make people, you know, recoil and horror. But on the other hand, I don't think they understand how popular our show is. Well, uh how many times did we get called racist in it? Uh at least one per line uh, <laughs> white supremacist or racist or whatever but you know it's like water off a duck's back now you know it's just uh, uh uh you know if you're a racist as you said in your book uh, that just means you're a white person okay it's a synonym for being a white person now it means nothing more nothing less than that well, uh, that's just another day at the office. So uh, that's uh, that. Uh, we'll see. Um, we'll see if we can get that on a newsstand somewhere. That you know, well, they're, like... they're like a rash. They flare up occasionally, and then they'll go back down and you know be kind of dormant for a while. But the SBLC, mm. its best days are gone. Okay, it is. Uh, it, it's definitely fading into the uh, landscape, and hopefully, the same fate will uh, uh, happen to the ADL. Which is like the ADL is like the major leagues. SPLC is like uh, the AAA uh, league, okay, minor league. But they are uh, the ADL is finally getting some real pushback. According, you know, 
because of Keith Wood and Elon Musk. Well, uh, like Tucker this. Carlson was going after him pretty hard and pretty regularly before they got rid of him. So, yeah, it's a, you well, know, definitely right. a new see, day uh, on that, see, in that regard. There are voices, there are dissenting voices out there that they cannot marginalize. They think they can marginalize them. They tried to marginalize Tucker Carlson, but all they did was enhance his popularity. Well, uh, he certainly got an audience on Twitter. We're not allowed there, but uh, he's doing. Uh, he's still getting some some good stuff out there. And, well, uh, we've got an audience. We may not be on Twitter, but we have a good audience, and we are keeping the message going. They haven't put the skier on us, as uh, General Forrest would say. Well, we and, shepherd uh, our flock, uh, whatever it is, and uh, we got some good. And listen, and we got some good alliances. To get to talk about media, we like uh, always good stuff in the American Free Press. I just uh, submitted my uh, piece, which is actually see, a this Q&A. is what, what hard times separate the sheep from the goats, James. You the people that stand up and do not fade away. There's a lot of people that fade away under this type of pressure, but the ones that survive and thrive are the ones that you can really count on. And that's uh, the fact that there are groups like the political cesspool, like the Occidental Observer, like the Underview, like all sorts of other groups that will tell the truth without uh, fear or favor. And they can not only continue on, but they can thrive. That shows that something is happening, that the paradigm is shifting. Well, when uh, one thing we, about hard times, the, the one thing about hard times is, is moving. Uh, with, with regard to hard times, if you've never experienced anything but hard times, it really doesn't seem all that bad. <laughs> so uh, we'll be back. Thank you, Keith. Uh, uh, we'll be we back s- in the late 60s called Been Down So Long It Looks Like Up To Me. hey listen we'll see you next week in the studio big party show next week 19 years on the air we'll celebrate in just three days october 24th was the first day we went on the air all the way back in 2004 2004 and we're going to celebrate that next week with a very special i I think we need to make that a a national holiday along with uh you know uh, juneteenth yeah uh, we'll be right back with sam dixon people's day listen Do you hear that sound? It started low, but it's getting progressively louder. Into a crescendo, even louder. Irresistible ending in an ear-splitting blast of mass disruption. That's the sound of America's economic and political systems crashing to the ground. But we have a plan. We will be ready to restore political sanity. We will be ready to answer the call of productive America. We will restore America's industrial base and put America back to work. We will shut down political correctness and restore decency and positive media to America. We will save our constitution, our traditional way of life, our customs, and religion. We will restore sound money and crush the debt-based system of monetary slavery. And we will end America's foreign misadventures. We are the American Freedom Party, and we have a plan. Learn more about us, theamericanfreedomparty.us. Is there a count somewhere? You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com Are you prepared to bug out? Infidel Body Armor and an Army Ranger have produced a high-speed DVD and book to show you how to drive in combat, patrol, and how to survive in combat. Skills you'll need when it hits the fan. Go to DrivenDVD.com. DrivenDVD.com You're listening to The Political Cesspool on ResolutionRDO.com Call and listen now at 
607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. Antelope Hill is proud to announce the release of a new translation, Leon de Grel in Exile, by Jose Luis Jerez Reisco. Readers of The Burning Souls will already be familiar with de Grel's life before and during the Second World War, his service on the Eastern Front, and his involuntary post-war exile in Franco, Spain. This new work tells the story of his life in exile in detail, replete with first-hand accounts from Spanish nationalists and friends of de Grel. During his time in Spain, de Grel did not wallow in sadness. Despite the atrocities inflicted upon him and his family by the victorious Allied powers, he stayed remarkably active in European nationalist politics and left a lasting impression on both his personal friends and those from around the European world who took inspiration from his tenacious idealism. De Grel's enduring legacy in Spain is well-deserved. Such a legacy also deserves to be spread to both sides of the Atlantic and beyond. Antelope Hill is proud to be the first to bring this unparalleled biography to the English reader, Get Leon DeGrell in exile today at antelopehillpublishing.com. Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program, and here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, as we promised earlier in the broadcast, uh, we have saved a most special treat for you to close this evening's show. Uh, Virginia Abernathy, Dr. Abernathy, is back with us this evening to talk about her brand new autobiography. And it is so brand new, it was just released yesterday, the title of it. And I'm holding a copy of the book in my hand as I speak, Born Abroad, A Patriot's Tale of Choice and chance. Dr. Abernathy is back with us right now. We'll say a quick hello to her. Dr. Abernathy, good evening. How are you? Oh, well, I'm very well, James. Thank you so much. Can't wait to share a little bit about this book with the audience and helping us do that. That's another thing that makes this hour so special is our good friend Sam Dixon, who will actually be uh, for uh, the most part hosting this hour with you. Sam, hello to you as well. No, I'm glad to be here. I count myself as president for life of the Virginia Abernathy Fan Club. So I'm glad to <laughs> Thank you. Well, it was, it was because of that mutual esteem and regard with which we hold her, and I knew that you shared that, uh, that I thought that this would make for a fantastic opportunity to put you two together and really dive into this book, which um, I'm reading now from the back cover is an anthropologist's autobiography with generous helpings of wit and political commentary. Uh, Virginia starts the reader on an eye-opening journey 
to a former time in the United States and Latin America and takes him along the decades of Dr. Abernathy's long life, her brilliant academic career, her divorce, widowhood, and remarriage, her original hypothesis on fertility rates, and her activism. Sam, take us away. Well, Dr. Abernathy of Virginia, you know, my nickname for you is, is Boadicea. When I usually email you, I call you, uh, I usually call you Boadicea, who was the queen who led the uh, last-ditch fight against the Romans and trying to conquer what is now uh, Great Britain. But anyway, you have been a, a, one of the most prominent people uh, to defend us and to try to bring uh, controlled immigration uh, unlike so many on our side, you you came to the table with many many uh, cards. You're somebody who had a lot to lose, and you you've taken a lot of lumps. And I'm always interested in that. Um, I was interested in some of the things you said about your childhood. Um, I, I, you're you're quite different from what I thought in some ways, and in other ways you're very similar to me in my own childhood. But you um, you don't believe in self-esteem. I mean, I'm sorry, you believe in self-esteem, you don't believe in self-abnegation. Uh, that's contrary to uh, the Christian view of life and children and the predominant view in America. Can you tell us more about that? Well, let me say that I have a great respect for religion, but that I don't have much um, interest in people not valuing themselves. I think you have to value yourself and value yourself very highly before you're in a position to do anything worthwhile or help other people. And I well, hope I that explains. I think it does. I, I happen to feel I have the same view that uh, that you need to stand up for yourself and people who are speaking out for our race and our people and our cause uh, need to do so with a sense of authority and, and self-assertion. And if you don't value yourself, I think the subconscious of other people reads your subconscious lack low value to yourself and they give you a low value. So uh, I'm actually in agreement with that. I also was surprised, another thing that surprised is that, that in many respects, you are what people would consider to be a, a liberal. You're, you're something of a feminist, uh, and you uh, you believe in abortion. You're a supporter of, of abortion, uh, and so on. And uh, I'd like you to talk more about that. I do think there's a difference between being um, fairly liberal on some social issues and being very conservative on financial issues and being very conservative in terms of reading the Constitution um, to mean what what it meant at the time it was written. So I'm conservative on two issues and fairly liberal on the social issue side. You may have read a, a column by, by Paul Gottfried, the Jewish publisher of, or editor of Chronicles, some years back, I think it's the best thing he's ever written, and he's a good writer. It was called Belief Clusters. And uh, he makes the point that these issues like abortion, gay marriage, immigration, environment, and so on, that there is no connecting thread, and that 
the division of America into opposing camps along these sort of rigid litmus tests is an unnatural division, uh, and, and that these issues need to be judged in of themselves. Yes, so I you, think Dr. Godfrey is right. I like that. And yeah. Um, yeah, especially I think abortion has been so unfortunate because people who ought to be uh, thinking about the constitutional issues and the financial issues that beset our country ought to be together strongly on the same page. And sometimes they've been divided over abortion. I think it's been very destructive to us as a as supporters of a strong country. Well, on the subject of abortion, that, that is a very difficult uh, issue, and one that I think the listening audience is going to be quite divided on, and maybe even They angry. certainly will. They will, and they might be angry with me. But years ago, I went to a family reunion. A distant cousin of mine was there who was on the county commission of a Tidewater County in South Carolina. And I was surprised that he had a Bush bumper sticker on his car. It's either Bush or Dole instead of a Pat Buchanan bumper sticker. And I asked him about that, and he said that, well, he said, I understand why you're for Buchanan, but he said, I feel that he's an Irish Catholic and that any political capital that he has, if he were to become president, would first be invested in, in doing it with abortion. And he said, but without abortion, he said, my county would now be overwhelmingly black. Well, <clears throat> that is the I mean, case. Yes, yeah. from the very beginning, it was perfectly clear that um, that an enormous number of, of blacks and people um, of any color, actually, who could not afford to take care of their children, and that did include a lot of minorities, uh, were availing themselves of abortion far more than any others in the country. And furthermore, the reason a great many people began to support liberal abortion was they became aware of how much infanticide there was. And uh, you may be shocked that I mentioned infanticide in the United States, but believe me, a lot of the sudden death syndrome um, and other accidents that happened to babies were infanticide. I think that abortion um, was a better alternative. Hold on right there. Dear friends, hold on right there. This is just the first of four segments. Sam Dixon interviewing Virginia Abernathy about the contents of her autobiography, Born Abroad, A Patriot's Tale of Choice and Chance, available now. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. 
You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. Matthew 24, 24 teaches us that the church is deceived today. Deceived Christians call themselves Judeo-Christians. Around 1900, Jews commissioned the Schofield Reference Bible, which transformed the Jews from Christian killers to the chosen people. Here's the truth. America is in the Bible. Revelation 21, our form of government came down from heaven. Verse 3, the many Christian ministers at the Constitutional Convention sought God's will. The God-given rights in the Constitution were ordained by God. America is the new promised land for Christian Israel, and Christians are the true chosen people. True Israel is Christian. Listen to Jesus, quote, my sheep follow me, unquote, and, quote, you do not believe because you are not my sheep, unquote. John 10, 25 through 27. The beast has transformed America into the woman mystery Babylon, Revelation chapter 17. For the complete Bible study, write to Christian Knuckles, P.O. Box 210813, Royal Palm Beach, Florida, 33421. Ladies and gentlemen, I just have to say, the, the conversation about esteem uh, took place uh, a second ago. I am very proud, I have to say, to have the ability to bring uh, these two together tonight, uh, Sam Dixon and Virginia Abernathy. They are two of the greatest representatives of our race alive today. And um, at some point, I'll be able to tell my kids, I lived during the age of Sam Dixon and Virginia Abernathy. But pairing them up tonight, it was a unique thing to be able to do. And uh, a little bit more information about Dr. Abernathy's background. As you may or may not know, she was born in Cuba in the 1930s to American parents. She is bilingual in English and Spanish, is a Harvard-trained scientist and activist. She has been a leading voice in issues spanning fertility in the United States and the effects of unbridled immigration, including its economic damage to working Americans. Because of her long years of experience, her academic achievement at elite American universities and her role as an outspoken woman, she is a threat to the establishment's devotion to cultural Marxism and multiculturalism. And for that reason, Dr. Abernathy's voice is needed now more than ever. She has been a longtime friend. I met her even before I met Sam Dixon, which is a hard thing to do. Uh, it seems like I've known Sam my whole life, but Virginia and I met in 99, 2000, and we've been in touch ever since. She's been a regular guest on this program. You can get her autobiography, Born Abroad, A Patriot's Tale of Choice and Chance, at arctos.com. This is an Arctos publication, also available at Amazon.com, and it just came out about 24 hours ago if you're listening live. Born Abroad, A Patriot's Tale of Choice and Chance. One quick question before I turn the interview back over to Sam, Virginia, and that is you were talking about on these issues you're conservative, on this you may be liberal, uh, but you have never, you have always had an unapologetic voice for the truth with regards to immigration and race and population and all of that. Uh, how did that happen? Well, it's just clear that immigration is a disaster, mass immigration. I'm not going to, I want to be clearer that I mean mass immigration by the thousands, by the millions, is very harmful to this country for two reasons. One is it undercuts the middle class and the working class because 
it adds to the labor force. And the more you get of something, the more the price declines. So the more people you get looking for jobs, the more that wages decline. And we don't want wages to decline. We want people here who are well paid for the good work they do. So that's one reason that I see immigration so harmful. Also, the environmental one, because we really don't have unlimited space or unlimited fresh, clean water. As many people know who live in the West, water is, a, is prized and is none too plentiful. We really do not have unlimited natural resources. And uh, the more people you have to take care of, the less the share for each person. Sam, back to you. I, I was in something you said, uh, Virginia. You, you said that from the very beginning, uh, you did not believe in the environmentalist theory uh, of human intelligence. Do you remember that part of your book? Yes. <laughs> well, that's right. Well, you I you're, guess you're, <laughs> you're, you immediately rejected the environmentalist theory of human intelligence. And I had the same experience. In ninth grade, we were told that the science had proven that there was that the races were equal. I thought the teacher was joking. I, I, there was something that crazy could be said. And I, I burst out laughing, much to the fury of the teacher who who uh, was very angry when someone had laughed. Opposition, <laughs> but but it's what what do you? I like to ask people what who are on our side. What what it was that really set in motion their process of becoming what I call a thought criminal? And you obviously are somebody who has had too much to think, and you are a thought <laughs> criminal. And uh, what, how would you? But uh, looking back on your past and your childhood and upbringing and education, what what do you? You say you were never interested in being popular, and neither was I. Uh, so we have that in common, but was there anything that you feel really set you down the path of thought crime? Well, I I was an only child, and I was, um, I, I know my mother always did her best for me, but I found it intrusive, and uh, but I don't think that's what makes the person thoughtful. I think probably... They have to be born with some intelligence, and you and I both think that genetics is as important as anything else, probably the most important factor, more important than environment. And um, then there was the fact in Argentina uh, that I was uh, in a British school where we learned every subject in the morning in English, math and everything in English. And then by Argentine law, half of the day had to be taught in Spanish. And so I learned quite a few different methods of, of setting up a, a, a long division um, <laughs> a problem, for example, and also different history. And I think we've discussed this before, but, but Las Malvinas is the Spanish name for the Falkland Islands. And if you'll recall, the British and the Argentines had quite a, a naval battle and some land battle over the Falkland Islands during the uh, period of, of Maggie Thatcher being Prime Minister of Great Britain. 
so they fought about it, but they'd also argued about it. And I was aware of this argument when I was in, I guess, second grade, because in the afternoon I was taught about Las Malvinas, and I was somehow aware that um, the uh, other name for it that Americans and British used was Falkland Islands. And so recognizing that there are different ways of seeing the same thing, I guess that tends to make you question and think. Well, I think that's very true. You and I were discussing earlier today child rearing, something which you, having reared four children, have infinitely more experience than, than I do. But my my father, uh, my parents would challenge us to think, uh, and they would point out uh, flaws in advertising uh, where we're being trying to be tricked into buying a hair tonic with the idea that if we put the hair tonic in our hair, the, the girls would all be kissing us in high school. And they would point out that this is not a recommendation of, of the, the superior ingredients of the hair tonic or the, the less expensive, the fact it's cheaper, it was just all nonsense that, 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 that was being used to deceive us. So I think, I think that, that starting out in life that way is important. But I also wanted to talk to you about uh, another subject. You and I agree on many things. You and I disagree on some things. And you and I have a profound disagreement about restoring the Constitution and going back to the Republic. You know, as from our many conversations, that I don't see any possibility of restoring the Constitution, nor do I even think it's wise or desirable. I think we need to create something entirely new. But how how do you feel that we could go back to the Constitution and a republic? How could we restore this, given the demographics of America? Well, I turn that argument on its head. Given the demographics of America, what makes you think that we could ever agree on something better than the Constitution. I'm afraid we'd be overwhelmed in any, let's call it a constitutional convention, we'd be overwhelmed by people who see things differently and worse and would not value as we do the rule of law. At least the rule of law is in the, is, is, the Constitution is an example, I guess, of laws that are as um, as big an effort as has ever been made to limit the scope of government. And I think that's what's great about the Constitution. It's intended to, to limit government. The, the Bill of Rights, the, the first one, the first, well, there are quite a few of the articles in the Bill of Rights. Um, that um, are explicit directions of thou shalt not do this. The government shall not take these privileges and freedoms away from the people. So I think that the virtue of the Constitution is it, it, it describes what government can be in a very minimalist way. And then the Bill of Rights comes along, the first 10 amendments, and uh, is explicit about what the government must not do. So I, I think it would be hard to improve upon that, particularly given the very diverse demography that we have now of so many people who come with other 
um, cultural expectations. Let's take a quick break right there, my friends. Virginia Abernathy, our guest, Sam Dixon, hosting this hour. We're talking about her book, Born Abroad. Stay tuned. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Skip Kelly. More than 100 people were arrested Friday night in midtown Manhattan during a demonstration calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. They also demanded more aid for the Palestinians and Congress to stop military aid to Israel. Participants told ABC7 their reasons were clear. We have to do what we have to do for justice and for peace. We're out here. It's pouring rain. We're wet. But they have blood on their hands. Those arrested were put on buses after blocking traffic outside of Senator Kirsten Gillibrand's office. More than 80 Spirit Airlines flights were canceled Saturday after some planes were pulled out of service for inspections, looking for signs of cracks in brackets on the plane's airframes. The airline says disruptions are expected to last for several days. A new poll shows a former president with a lead in the race for 2024. Among Republican Donald Trump, Democrat Joe Biden, and newly turned independent candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a survey by Harvard Caps Harris poll shows Trump with 39% support, followed by Biden with 33% and Kennedy at 19%. Nearly 10% said they did not know who they'd vote for. When asked to pick from the three, 42% chose Trump. Pollsters asked 2,100 registered voters. I'm Jeremy Scott. The first shipment of emergency aid to Gaza since the Israel-Hamas war began rolled through a border crossing between Egypt and Gaza Saturday. Desperately needed food, water, and medicine was brought in by truck. Supplies sat near the crossing for days, hoping to enter after Israel blockaded the territory and launched waves of airstrikes. Palestinians have been rationing food and drinking filthy water from wells, while hospitals run low on medicine and fuel for emergency generators. And rather than taking part in the third Republican presidential primary debate in Miami, former President Donald Trump will be hosting a rally at a nearby city of Hialeah. The Republican presidential frontrunner will hold an evening event at Ted Hendricks Stadium. He's slated to be on stage at 7 p.m. on November 8th. This is USA News. Attention timeshare owners. Tired of the financial stress? Were you misled by the salesperson? Don't or can't use your timeshare anymore? If any of these apply to you, then you may qualify for timeshare cancellation and get the relief you need now. Timeshare Defense Attorneys is the number one affordable fixed fee legal solution in the country with an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. That's certainly better than my grades. They even offer a 100% client satisfaction guarantee. Let one of their experienced lawyers evaluate your case and explain the process. If they take you as a client, they'll work on your case until it's resolved in your favor. Guaranteed. Expect great service and a close working relationship with your lawyer, keeping you informed every step of the way, protecting your rights, interests, and even your credit. It's that simple. Even a kid like me could understand it. The consultation is free. Call today. 800-875-1853. 800-875-1853. That's 800-875-1853. All right, everybody, welcome back. Very special hour here on TPC with Sam Dixon hosting this interview where we talk with Virginia Abernathy about her brand new, hot off the press autobiography, 
Born Abroad, A Patriot's Tale of Choice and Chance. It is worth buying the book just to see the cover. Now, my wife can nail these things. She can nail uh, a, a child's age just by looking, no matter who they are. For me, if they're between, they could be between 3 and 10, and I would never know the difference. But I'm going to guess here, Virginia, on the cover of this, you're, what, five or six years old? I think I might have been older. I might have been seven or eight, but I'm not okay. sure. See, I, I, I knew I'd be off. But nevertheless, th- there are some illustrations in this book that follow your life from the 1930s all the way through uh, the 2020s. And uh, I was just looking at the calendar, and I've known you myself now for very nearly a quarter of a century, somewhere between 23 and 24 years as we set this evening. And again, we are talking about this book uh published by Arctos, available there and at Amazon.com as well, Born Abroad by Virginia Abernathy. Sam, please continue. Well, on a lighter note than what we've been saying, I, the title, of course, it should be commented on. You know, born Abroad, like the indefinite. <laughs> uh, to be pronounced as either, <laughs> either two or three words. <laughs> uh, to be pronounced as two or three words. But the point is, I'm not very happy with people who um, are talking about transsexualism and things like that. I want to make the point that male is male and female is female. And uh, I was one when I was, I mean, I was female when when I was born, and I still am. And (laughs) (laughs) so I just did a little play on words. (laughs) <laughs> I, I salute. I, I, my father used to say that we should be polite to all women because without women we wouldn't be here, and we should see our mother, uh, even in women, regardless of their age uh, or, or their appearance. But uh, speaking I, of having age, said yeah. that, <laughs> having said that, I, I say that, I, that it has never entered my brain that I would ever want to be a woman. Uh, and have somebody sticking me something in me and having to carry this growing tumor around for nine months and then have it split me in two. <laughs> I really think I really think we got better of this deal. <laughs> I don't know that you got the better of the deal when the dying starts. It's the men in the front lines. Um, so I'm well, not you sure you got that. Good point. And, and so... Yeah. But I've just had a little bit of a shock about this title. Uh, the men of my age, your age, maybe even James's age, know the word broad to be a rather rude word for a woman. But someone told me that young people have no idea that broad ever meant anything about a female. They don't recognize that word for girl or woman. You have to be very careful speaking to young people because they're, they're, especially with slang, because slang is so time sensitive. But young people do not know the things that a lot of old people take for granted. Not merely slang, but all kinds of other things. You have to be very careful talking to them. But, yes, uh, you are right. The uh, so, I wanted to talk your field of work, and more than any any other area, has been in this area of fertility and uh, marriage, the decline in marriage and uh, the, the declining birth rate. 
Uh, and I thought that we would, might talk about that a little bit. And I might ask you what suggestions you might have on what could be done to increase the birth rate. Well, since I think that people in general are smart enough to know that they don't want more dependence if they feel um, broke or scared about their finances, um, you want, you want people to feel more secure about their financial and work future. And as I've said, the more labor, the more the labor force grows, um, the lower wages go because there's so much competition for such jobs as there are. And so the first thing you do is you make labor scarce, make uh, the working man or woman um, better paid for what they do, and then they're going to feel more secure in their financial future. And it's feeling secure in your financial future that makes you feel you can afford to have a child or two or three children. Uh, you have to feel that the future is going to be a little bit better before you really want to start a family or, for that matter, even get married. A man does not want to think he has, a, has dependence if he's not sure he can provide for them because I still do think that men um, have a sense of responsibility. At least a good man has a sense of responsibility for his wife oh, and his family. I don't, I don't think black people and Hispanic people, a lot of Hispanic people, I, I don't think they have any concern about uh, whether they have children or not. They, they're just going to, to engage in the act, and if the child comes, that's somebody else's responsibility and not theirs. Well, I think that if you compare the fertility rates, that's the number of births per um, childbearing age woman. That's fertility. If you can, if you um, compare the fertility rate of Hispanics in the United States with Hispanics in, let's say, Mexico, you'll find that it's quite a lot higher here in the United States by about one child per woman higher. And um, in Mexico, <clears throat> they're very aware of limited opportunity, and they're very careful about family size. But when they come here, the land of milk and honey, with so many government programs creating a social safety net and a lot of health care for their children and even themselves and education for their children, the opportunity seems so much better that they do allow themselves to have the extra one or two children per family. Um, and uh, so I don't think it's necessarily that Hispanics in general are um, careless. Uh, about this thing, but I just Iranian, think that Iranians and okay. Nigerians have birth rates, but they don't. They don't. They have very bad living standards, but their birth rates are yes. colossal. Yes. Well, you one thing about um, uh, about prosperity and opportunity is you compare. You always have a reference group, and you are comparing your condition and your expectations to what they used to be what, or to the condition of people you know. And so there's always a reference time or a reference group. 
And so what we would consider poverty here um, might not seem the same problem because they're, they have a different reference group than we have. And there's another thing about African culture, and I'm not saying in all African countries, but in many, and that is that women plan to have children by different men because that's their way of getting um, being taken care of at the present time and in the future because each man with whom a woman has had a baby is going to contribute a little bit of money to her upkeep and the children's upkeep. So that's just one um, one uh, aspect of of why an African woman might have more children um, than people in other cultures. It's just you do it as a way of looking out for your financial future. And then there's another thing. In countries, and this has been very well demonstrated by a man who did research with uh, an Indian group in South America, that when the culture is used to polygyny, by which I mean uh, one man with more than one wife, polygyny, um, the birth rate, the fertility rate, I mean, is lower than when that practice is disturbed. And that's because when the, when a man has several wives, uh, it's much easier for a woman to take a long rest after each baby um, before she's expected to, to have marital relations again and be exposed to pregnancy. So maybe that's a long explanation and one you didn't really expect to hear. But, but polygyny well, it, is a good way if if this was transcribed a closed captioning it would say cross talk right here (laughs) we'll take a quick break (laughs) one more sam dixon and virginia abernathy we are promoting her book we want you to get it born abroad a patriot's tale of choice and chance available tonight at amazon.com and arctos.com Hello, TPC family. It's James, and I've got to tell you that I sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the Conservative Citizens Foundation. The purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while at the same time exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, MericaFirst.com. That's M-E-R-I-C-A-1-S-T dot com. MericaFirst.com. 
Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to LocalHoneyMan.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at LocalHoneyMan.com. Do you treasure your liberty? Well, at LovingLiberty.net, we most certainly do. And we want to help protect your liberty, too. Become part of the family. Everyone knows that the core of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect the integrity of its family. We the people. Won't you join us as a Loving Liberty sponsor to help us promote the principles in the 5,000-year leap? Let's restore the miracle that changed the world at LovingLiberty.net. One more segment with uh, Dr. Virginia Abernathy, a little bit more about her background, as you probably know, after all of these years during which she's been appearing on the broadcast. But uh, she is a professor emeritus of psychiatry at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. She holds a Ph.D. from Harvard University, an MBA from Vanderbilt University, and a B.A. from Wellesley College. Dr. Abernathy taught at Harvard University before joining the Vanderbilt University Medical School faculty in 1975. She has authored other books, including Population Politics and The Vanishing American Dream. But, of course, we're here tonight to talk about her autobiography released just yesterday, Born Abroad, A Patriot's Tale of Choice and Chance, Amazon.com. You can get it there. I'm holding a copy in my hand, and I did pay for it. I did not want to accept it for free, and I don't want to ask you to do something that I haven't done for myself, as I so often remind you, uh, by the book. Uh, it is impossible, of course, to... Do a book like this justice uh, with the constraints of commercial talk radio, but I would just read from uh, the first page or the first page after the preface uh, and ask a final question of Virginia before I let uh, Sam take us to the house. And it's just been a wonderful exchange between these two all, all night long. But uh, in the chapter, Agitator Born or Made, you write that you can't answer that question whether an agitator is born or made. So I'll tell some of my story, you write. I also don't know if I'm a real agitator. I feel mild to myself, although Lou Dobbs hosting a CNN network news hour and kowtowing to a Southern Poverty Law Center lawyer once referenced me, quote, we've never had that woman on our show, end quote. And that's how the book begins. And uh, over the course of a very lean 225-page read, uh, you will learn more about her life her battles, and her views on the issues. We've only been scratching the surface of it tonight, but my question for you, Virginia, would be, you have shown more bravery in your life than most men I know, and that's <laughs> an understatement. Uh, where did you get that compass to hold you steadfast in these times? You've been attacked uh, every bit as much as we have, people like Kevin McDonald and others. Uh, you've been right there the whole, the whole way. Well, I just don't feel it's been brave. That's where I would kind of um, demur. I just uh, one thing led to another. And I think that men who feel responsible for their families have to be careful what they say because the powers against speaking out, saying what you really think, 
the powers are very, very strong, and a man can very well lose his job, his livelihood, his opportunity to fulfill what he thinks is his responsibility to support that wife and children. So I think men have an extra level of caution for the reason that they feel financially responsible, not just for themselves, but for other people. And I respect that. Um, I, I agree. So, go on. I, I, I would certainly agree with that. I mean, there is a difference between tact and discernment uh, and, and bravery and recklessness. I mean, th th there's an argument that can be made there. But I guess what I'm asking you, though, is when you came under attack, you never apologized. No, I, no. Look, as I also make plain in my book, my mother never pampered me. In fact, um, she was very critical. And Sam and I have been talking about that, too. And we, at least I think we agree that parents should not uh, encourage children to think too well of themselves. I was told, told some fairly insulting things by my mother, which I'm sure today's um, parents would not tell their children because there's so much emphasis on building up a kid's self-esteem. And I think that's a mistake. I think it makes the children soft. I think they ought to be battered around a little bit. And I don't mean physically, <laughs> but I... <laughs> but I mean, heck, you can't tell a kid he's wonderful all the time and expect him not to be intimidated and shocked if the world tells him something different. <laughs> so, Sam, you chime in on this. Well, my, my parents were, were, and the whole extended family were very demanding of children. And, uh, and children didn't rule the roost. I like to tell people that, that I've never had an inning at bat. When I was a child, the adults ran the world. And then when I grew up, children ran the world. <laughs> I've, never, I've never been able to run the world. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I have to go back to, to the, uh, the, the business about the birth rate. And uh, assuming that you don't get your way, and we don't go back to the Constitution and limited government, and that I get my way, and that we go forward to a sort of Bolshevik program, and the com our own comrade Stalin uh, stops immigration and begins a thorough program of deportations. Um, how might me might how might we burst, boost the birth rate? It seems to me that. The birth rate has dropped ever since children ceased to be an economic um, asset and became economic liabilities. Uh, I mean, yes. of what Orban has done in, in Hungary, Orban has a program to encourage birth rates, and, and it's, it's different from most in that it would have the biggest impact on, in causing on the, on the people who we need to re have reproduced, the surgeons, the, the engineers, uh, the intelligent people. And what, what they've adopted in Hungary is that if you have four children, you're exempt from the income tax. And well, that's a good idea. Very good so let me just say, you mentioned deportation, Sam, and I'm all in favor. I'm really all in favor. And what bothers me is that the people who would and I know plenty of them who would stand at the border and defend this country um, 
would be considered criminals if they really stood on the border and defended this country against the illegal alien invasion. We are not allowed to do it. We can't just shoot people coming across the border. And um, of course, I would go first for the women because they're the ones who have the children and therefore they're the biggest threat to the country in the long run. Uh, Am I radical? Yes, you bet that's radical. But I'm all in favor of deportation, which is, I think, something that I hope our next president will take seriously. Uh, We have right now five to seven or eight million illegal aliens that have come just during the Biden administration. So I'm all for deportation. Now, as for... that we have a we have quite a tradition from our enemies on this. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and the Roosevelts and the Trumans and the, all the bleeding heart liberals they had no problem at the World War II with the deportation of 15 million Germans from areas in Eastern Germany that they had lived in for their families had lived in for a, a thousand years. Just being told to pack a handbag and walk, and if you starve to death, we don't give a damn. That was the Eleanor Roosevelt attitude, and that was the attitude of America's liberal establishment, and that's going to be their attitude toward us. So there's quite a tradition in America of radical deportations, and we can just follow the example of Blessed St. Eleanor. Well, I think, I think you know that, that it's a wonderful strategy to po- point to one of the liberal idols as she was and say, well, she, she favored it, so let's go – ahead and do it. That would be lovely. Unfortunately, we don't control the mass media. I have another tax proposal in our our new government, of our new uh, nation, and that is I think childless people like me uh, should be be put under a surtax to help people like you and James who have large families. I'm benefited by your sacrifice in rearing these kids who will be my policemen and my surgeons and my engineers and uh, soldiers and all this stuff, well, I've gotten a free ride. I, I think that there should be a surtax on challenge people, oh, maybe 25 their income. Well, you're already paying for the schooling of uh, all of those people who have children, and you're not ta- taking but, any advantage. <laughs> so anyway, um, we have, you know, if you can get that one. Congress, go for it. We have a school system in Virginia that would be a disgrace to Haiti. (laughs) (laughs) Just the same. However bad it is, you're paying for it, whether you have children or not. (laughs) This state is prepared to pay for specific programs to to help help parents and children, you know, over and above things like the, the schools or the roads or, or that kind of thing. But anyway, that's, those are two proposals that I would have, as well as one to elevate the status of women who are, who are mothers. And, uh, you know, I think they should wear badges and they should get on the subway or the bus first and they should have the first choice of seats and uh, things like this. I, I think that people who have children should be honest. I would butt in, uh, lady and gentlemen, just uh, very briefly to say we have about two minutes remaining. Born Abroad is the book, available now for sale. We've been talking about the life and times of Virginia Abernathy and some of the issues that have defined her activism. Sam, final word, final question to you. Well, I have two things. I wanted to read a little dictum that I got from Virginia's book. Allowing others 
to disadvantage one's own reproductive chances and ability to produce offspring is a path to extinction. I, I like that sentence, Virginia. Well, thank allowing you, others, Allowing others to disadvantage one's own reproductive chances and ability to produce offspring is a path to extinction. That's right. So, um, it ties just in with my view that you shouldn't um, you shouldn't devalue yourself. Um, you have to preserve your own right to um, reproduce, to be wealthy, to think for yourself. And and anytime you give a little away. Uh, you are reducing your own opportunity to leave your genes. And I just prove it's a path to extinction, as I did right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know more, you're going to have to buy the book. We've given you just a taste of it tonight with dear friends Sam Dixon and Virginia Abernathy. i got to get Sam off the radio here pretty quick before he takes my job for good. Uh, Virginia, always great to talk to you, and congratulations on a life well lived and this book, which uh, you have given us uh, as a gift. And well, uh, we will talk you to you both today. again very soon, I'm sure. It was a pleasure very to talk to you both. Bye. As right. always. Thank Sam, thank you. Thank you. Good night. And we will talk to everyone again next week as we celebrate 19 full years on the radio for our guests this hour, Keith Alexander and Mark Weber, who kicked things off. I'm James Edwards. Good night, everybody. You're listening to Resolution Radio, 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 ResolutionRDO.com.